Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Life's Legends, a podcast where we talk about the stories that have shaped and guided us through life. I am Luke, your host, as I will be every week, and we will once again dive into a story that is important to one of our guests, to our very first guest, probably fitting that this is my first guest, uh, seeing as today I have on my wife, Shania. Say hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, Shania, we've already gone over your name. Would you like me just to call you Shania? Is that fun? That's perfect. Okay, I didn't. I should have asked that probably before we did this, but here we are. Live so, Shania, we in the intro part, I want to help people that are listening to this kind of get to know who who's on the podcast, and this kind of helps us understand where worldviews come from and stuff like that and some of this is just joke kind of questions but some of it's a little more serious so Shania how old are you I'm 26 nice nice Shania what is your favorite animal elephant why uh, I saw a video once of a baby elephant trapped in a hole and then its mom like would not leave it and there's like a team of elephants that pulled it out and it was like big, big family bond and uh, they're really smart and they're really cute and I like to feel like I could pet one like a dog, but it would not be as fluffy. Most likely not. That is way more... Uh, thoughts on that that I thought you were going to have. That's perfect. Great. You have a very well-founded favorite animal. Uh, I didn't actually say my favorite animal last time. Uh, my favorite animal is a bison. I'm really okay with any bovine, but bison's my favorite of the bovine. They make me feel calm inside, and that's why. Anyway, Shania, what's your occupation? What do you do for a living? I'm a group supervisor in a daycare. Okay, all right. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, it means that I have up to 12 kiddos directly under my care at any given time. And it's the school age room. So yeah, I just I teach them lessons. I play with them. I help them become functioning little human beings. Nice, nice. Do you enjoy that? Oh, yeah, I love working with kids. Nice. And Shania, maybe the most important question on the intro section of this podcast is, Shania, what is your dream for the future? So as much as I love working with kids, I'd say my dream is to uh, be a stay-at-home mom, but with that, I'm like dabbling in writing my own stories, so ideally, a stay-at-home mom that's an author. Okay, nice, nice. That's That's great. So you've you you've gotten at least a little bit into writing your own stories how do you is that process super hard i mean as we're going to talk about novels today i assume that's what you're writing um, or what your goal would be to write is this a super hard process easy process well how do you feel about it that's such a hard question. It, it's in some ways and like... And one I did not prepare you for. In some ways, writing is like 
incredibly easy for me in that I'm, uh, so one of my favorite authors, I don't know if she originally coined this, but I first heard the two terms from her, is you have pantsers and you have plotters, people that sit down and plot out a story from beginning to end and they know everything they're going to do. And then you've got pantsers who fly by the seat of their pants. And I am some amalgamation of the two, but I'm mostly a pantser, so it's super easy for me to sit down at any point of time usually and like a scene will come to mind and I'll like write out that scene but then eventually I get left with like 20 different scenes and bits and pieces and I don't know how they get together. Uh, I'm writing something now, I'm some over 50 pages into it, I, I forget how long it actually is at the last tally but I, it's reached a stalemate because I've compiled all of these scenes but I don't actually know who the villain of the story is. I've not... Yeah, that's a pretty important part. It, yeah. like... Yeah, like, the main the main plot, like, some of the very key points. I'm like, I, I know that they go here because I wrote the scene, but I don't know how or why they go there. I know that they have this confrontation with the villain, but I've done nothing else with the villain. So it's... I don't know, writing is easy. Making a cohesive story is hard, I guess. Sure, sure. Out of curiosity, um, I guess we haven't announced what series we're doing, but the author, Suzanne Collins, to blow the lid off this, uh, what, what, give me a guess as to whether you think pantser or plotter in your definitions. Oh, plotter. A hundred percent plotter. Good. That's what, that's what I would have guessed too, just based on the fact that it felt like these books were very much all part of one unit but we'll get into that probably later so should i apart from the general intro questions which you've answered flawlessly past no Thank problem you. uh i like to talk about these icebreaker questions and i ask these to get to know your story experience how how stories have shaped you and in what ways they've impacted you and then getting into the story we'll be talking about today and why you you ended up choosing that one so Shania what is your favorite story medium what way is a story presented that that you just like the best um I guess I would say just like the traditionally published well I don't want to say traditionally published but like just like a your regular standard novel okay, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Is there any particular reason? You don't have to have more than that, but... No, I, I think for me and how I work in taking stuff in, so, like, having read, um, like, like movies I'll fade in and out on in my interest, like, uh, watching them, like, they don't necessarily... I don't know that I've ever watched a movie that's had me, like, completely, like, sucked into it from beginning to end. Um... <clears throat> since knowing you I've dabbled in manga here and there and like the pictures like I will tend to gloss over in favor of the words so there's sometimes there's things that I'll miss that when I you know talk with you or with other people reading that same manga I'll be like oh I did not fully catch that but when I'm reading books especially if I'm really liking the story there's something about that where I will disappear for hours on end like I will be in that world fully immersed and i don't know that i've ever had that experience elsewhere yeah you devour novels in a way that i've never seen anyone devour novels like you can read like a whole novel 
in a sitting. I don't think people normally do. I don't do that. Yeah, for, uh, for I guess to give a perspective for the, the bookish people on, um, I got the last Harry Potter book the day it came out. Like, I was a midnight release girl. And I started reading it um, in the car on the way home. And being, I'm 26, this involved using streetlights. So I was, like, reading sporadically with streetlights. And I just continued reading. And I finished the first Harry Potter book by, like, 10, 11 in the morning. <laughs> That's insane. And that, that was, like, a straight read-through, which is probably not record-breaking. But just to give you the level that I can both immerse myself and go. Yeah. That's, that is impressive. So, Shania, what is your favorite individual story? This is such a hard question. It is such this a complicated is, it's very answer. very hard. But as, um, as I just kind of referenced it with the midnight release thing, I feel like my default answer has always been Harry Potter. And I think that's just like... I don't know if it's like my ultimate favorite favorite story or if like you took all the pieces that i liked in stories i don't know that harry potter has all of them but it's like my nostalgic piece like it has been my story my tried and true my comfort read for so long and so i think it's even it doesn't have all of my favorite qualities anymore it's just my favorite for what it was to me and what it continues to be yeah yeah i mean my favorite's naruto for a very similar reason it is it's just stable like that and it, it makes me feel good so okay so Shania that brings us to the question of who is your favorite character of all time again a very hard question yeah that that was even harder to pick I'm like think about this and like I think the complicated thing doing these icebreakers is like I feel like I'm supposed to just be picking within the story I've chosen to talk about today no 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 which no, I no. haven't even gotten into yet um, I did the Prince of Egypt last time, and my favorite villain was Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. These are very different experiences. Yeah, so I think... I was I was trying to think... Um, I was just going through... I think I came back to um, a character named uh, Cameron or Cammy Morgan. Um, she's from the Gallagher Girl series. Um the author I mentioned earlier with the pantser plotter thing, Allie Carter, um, that's one of her characters. She is a uh, teen girl that goes to a school for spies. Um, and it's a whole, like, the first book starts off with her, like, trying to navigate this, like, normal life, like, try to leave the spy life behind. And then it just continues from there, no spoilers, but there's something so relatable about this girl who, like is like that very average blend in character in a way but like that is her strength because she's a spy and i don't know I, yeah i don't know there's just something cool to how she like exists and it's like i think like the epitome of what like teen me wanted to be maybe nice that's great there's nothing wrong with that. that's great um so uh i assume she's not a villain so that will lead us to our next question. Shania, who is your favorite villain or antagonist? You can use that too. Sometimes they're not the same, but who's your favorite villain? I I I cannot answer this question. I Wow. Hate Just villains. Won't I 
I am the worst. It's just like... Well, I mean, I don't know that it's the greatest sin to not like the bad guy. <laughs> I think that's okay. No, but like, I hear people all the time and I'm like, they'll pick favorite villains for different reasons. And sure, there's complex villains. There's sympathetic villains. But I just, I don't know. I don't think I've ever like really like encountered a villain that I've just loved. I know like in reading stories despite like my hatred of villains or like not really being into finding them cool i feel like the type of villain is like the one that's just like insanely monstrous because something about them just makes my brain go whoa so that can be like brute brute strength monster or that can be like the snakiest snake we've ever seen but yeah i don't really have a favorite villain i just i don't know okay just not a villain person that's okay I heavily disagree, but that's okay. That's great. Um, so, uh, Shania, when when I have anyone on this sh- uh, show, and I myself want to do this every month, I-, I like to ask, what story are you involved in right now, or what do you want to recommend to people that, that might be listening to this show that, that they can get into? Obviously, not the one we're talking about this this month. Obviously, we're going to recommend that, probably, or or we hated it. But most likely, we're gonna recommend it. But but what other other story are you involved in that you want to talk about briefly? Uh, so I mean, so for what I'm reading right now, I'm actually in the middle of reading a manga called Fairy Tale. Um, hey, that's a good one. Which is super fun. I'm liking it a lot. I I didn't know anything about it going into it, but it's just like fun, crazy magic, and I always love the typical, at least. In the manga I read, I should preface, it's always like it's almost like some male protagonist that's a little too nuts and ridiculous and somehow things work because he's nuts and that's always fun to watch. Where like it's like the character that doesn't think it through but it works out anyways. And I kind of enjoy watching that play out. So yeah, Fairy Tale's really good. I like that. Nice. Nice. Fairy Tale is awesome. I, I read Fairy Tale when it was like coming out years ago i'm not very familiar with it at this point i've I've spent a lot of time away from it but it's a good series definitely check it out people who are listening all 10 of you if you want to check that out definitely do that um so from for my recommendation this month this is a little uh, unorthodox i want to talk about but it is a story i think um, so there is a, a rapper, a Christian rapper, so do what you want with that information, um, named KB, the letters. Um, and I, I, I've liked him for years. I've, I've followed a little bit of his, his music and, um, he, he recently put out an album and on that album, there are two songs called the art of drifting and the art of hope. And the songs kind of run into each other. They're essentially one story about, um, a guy who's who's in ministry, um, in this case, uh, music, because that's what he knows, right? He's in ministry, and he just gets caught up in in the the struggle of life and drifts slowly away from God and from from the the passion that he had, and it just descends throughout the first song. But then the art of hope comes back and shows you kind of the. The, the renewal that that God can bring to that situation it's it's very good it, it affected me very deeply this week um, and so if you haven't heard uh, these two songs definitely go listen to them um, 
Christian or not Christian, I think it'll give you an interesting insight maybe into ministers, even if you're not Christian. Um, because unfortunately, we see you know, pastors and, and other people going go in different directions all the time. So this is a good this is a this is a good tool I think to even kinda wrap your head around to that. So I wanted to to reference that one this month. Um, so Shania, this month we're gonna talk about the Hunger Games. And what we specifically mean when we're talking about that is we're gonna talk about the, the trilogy of books, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire and Mocking Jay. Um, we won't avoid Okay, you're going to have to help me. What's the prequel novel? Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Sure, we won't avoid that, but I haven't read that yet. Um, you have, I, I know. So uh, you feel free to use spoilers for that, too. Um, and I I haven't watched the movies recently, but I did watch a little bit of the first one before we were before we recorded. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the medium part um, of, of the podcast. But... but First, what made you choose The Hunger Games? I mean, on the most surface level, probably the TikTok nudge for the nostalgia. Every so often... Wow, TikTok gets in there. It comes up on my algorithm and it pulls on all of my heartstrings because The Hunger Games has such this compelling plot. The characters are tragic and beautiful and... You know, the love storyline, the Gale slander, all of it. It just gets Yo, me... We'll, we'll save it. We'll save it. I'll hold off. But every time, it just, you know, it comes up on my algorithm, and then I go, all right, all right, I'll dive back into the Hunger Games. See, I think, like, it's just it's just a good story. It's got some strong themes. I thought it'd be interesting to sit down and dissect. And it really, and it really is a great story. It's It was an incredible story. Great for me to read through. Because I had never read the books. When did you first experience this story? Like, what? When? When did you first read it? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I would imagine probably right as it was coming out, or like not long after. Like, I was like pretty much on that hype train. Nice, nice. Well, great. Well, we will get right into the meat after a short intermission. Okay, so without uh, too much fanfare here, let's let's get into the meat of the story of the Hunger Games. And as I said last month, and, and I'll say probably in every one of these, we can break almost all stories down into three elements that, that we talk about in the section that I have titled The Meat of, of the, the Story and of the podcast, really. Um, and those three are characters, setting, and plot. Um, and so we'll we'll take those three just just in that order. So we'll start with the characters, and obviously the the most prominent of of characters in any story is the protagonist. So, Shania, how do you feel about Katniss? I overall love her, but she can be a little annoying it it's unfair it, it's unfair given what i just said about um you know enjoying in fairy tale like the brash reckless character because when katniss acts brash and like rushes into a decision which is a big iconic part of her character sometimes i get so frustrated and i think that's because 
when she's level-headed and thinking clearly, she does so well. She ends up, like, shooting herself in the foot. Um, and Pax is not even all the time. She's had some really brash moments where she just, like, spontaneously decides to do things. And she does really well with that, so... I don't know, sometimes she's cringy, I guess, in how I watch her interact. But, overall, I love her. Yeah, I... Yeah, I think the main problem there might be that she... she It's harder to be brash like that and, like, bold in, in this setting. So it's easier for, like you mentioned, fairy tale. it's easier for Natsu to be like that. Because he's in a shonen manga. And those are made for brashness. Because he is like super powered. But Katniss is a real is like a real person living in a real kind of like our people world. Obviously much different. But it's harder to to be that in in that kind of setting. I think that's what it is. And even in like the context of the story when she is in the arena or she's more directly like under the controller like directly with like um not directly with but directly like more directly under president snow like she's really bad at playing the game so when she's too bold and too brash i'm like katniss you are ruining your chances but once she is sort of free on her own she's interacting with coin and then like i'm pretty much full steam ahead on all of her brash choices after that, I feel like. Because now she's at a place where she's got to carve her own path. So I feel like just like the difference, like, cringing and being like, Katniss, you're not playing by the rules, this is gonna go badly for everyone in your story. To Katniss, you're defining your own rules, be as bold as you want to be, girl. I think, too, uh, this whole story positions Katniss always in a position where she is well over her head. She's not she's not in a position of strength, I think, at any point in all three of these books. She's always out of her element. She's 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 in a she's just in a dangerous situation almost all the time. And this is another thing that would not be easy to to make those brash decisions when you're not in control of anything going on around you and we see that in all three books that she's kind of in that setting I so I personally actually found Katniss very very relatable I'm wondering if you found Katniss relatable yeah tell me a little bit no I mean it's it's not surprising that you found her relatable but I think you found her relatable for the same reason I don't and that's that she's too pragmatic oh she's so pragmatic it's, she's the perfect level of pragmatic it's an, I, maybe too much maybe she's too much, too much and she recognizes that but I think I think it's almost um, obviously I do not want to reduce the Hunger Games down to the love triangle that exists within it but there is Which a is scene the worst part of the Hunger Games but we'll talk about that later. Well, it's it's compelling in its own right. But there but there's a scene where Gail and Peta are talking about Katniss and they're talking about um, who's gonna get her. Basically, you know, it's 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 more complicated than that. But they're, but they're having this discussion, and Gail makes the statement that Katniss will choose the one she can't live without. 
like will choose the one that she needs which stings Katniss at the time because but not in like a she's offended way but almost as if a mirror has been held up to her and she doesn't like it because I think she is self-aware that she is pragmatic she's not motivated by extreme emotions she's she's motivated by what she needs for her survival and that even is acknowledged at the very end of the Hunger Games when she talks about her decision and that what she needed was not Gail's fire but Peta's reassurance um not exactly what she says but to Something that effect like that, though that's pretty close um but so yeah she's just like too pragmatic she's not ruled by her emotions at all uh what you see is what you get and i just don't have i don't have that yeah i mean in a certain way i don't have that either but i i think that katniss is a great example of the the adage of like hard times make strong men is usually what it is but in this case obviously a woman you know so like she she has grown up in conditions I can't imagine. I can't even fathom. I am a well-fed guy. <laughs> I eat a good amount. Um, and I've always eaten a good amount. I've never had that problem. But t- So to imagine not knowing if you're going to eat and only being able to eat because you have this ability to hunt, because you had to develop that, at such a young age, just so your family could eat. These are situations I can't relate to at all. And this is, I think, bound to make someone pragmatic, I think. Because you're just just on survival. You you can't go beyond that. And we see that, I think, a lot in this story with her in certain situations where it is just survival is what's in her head. The other question I have, um, just mainly because of her position as the mocking Jay, as this kind of inspirational figure for Pan Am, I'm interested to see if if you find Katniss inspiring. And even I know in our world, this is just, some people do find Katniss inspiring. Um, but I'm interested to see what you think about that. So I guess, like, as, like, a character type, as, like, looking at her, like, I would say that she is, she is inspiring because she doesn't give up. Like, she becomes the caretaker of her family. She um, volunteers for her sister. She's got this level of bravery and capability and determination that is super inspiring and cool to see in a character. I do sometimes wonder, like, how she became the Mockingjay, like, how she became the moment. Like, like that she was the first person in 75 years of the games, or, no, she's the 74th game when she goes in, I think. Yeah, because um, the quarter quells. The quarter the quells, yeah. So, in the 74 years of the Hunger Game, we've never had someone try to commit suicide, we've never had some kind That's of love insane. couple. That can't be like, true. That cannot be true. Like, whatever made her the person, it's it's so interesting to me. Like, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of weird that she became the moment. I feel like she didn't have to be. I feel like that's something Snow kind of did to himself, and we'll get in that later, but... Yeah. Yeah, I... 
I mean, I don't think she's inspiring at all. I I re- I think she's relatable, but I don't think I think in her world she is. I think that's clear. We see that. But I don't know that even in our world like Suzanne Collins the author, I I don't know that she's trying to make Katniss this like hero figure so much as a person in this terrible world like in this world that's so messed up and i think that she does a great job of that Um, but yeah it's she's she's just a person and several times we see her have like some major setbacks or get one of my one of the defining moments that i have for this is in the final book in mockingjay where they've just uh shut down the district two's like mountain thing mm-hmm. right and the one guy comes out and she's like gives this speech i uh. for a moment i was like is she is she gonna is she is he gonna come around and then like the chapter ends with her getting shot and i was like that's perfect that's absolutely perfect because I was worried for a minute that you were almost charismatic, Katniss. But you, you cleared that up for me. She almost got that guy. It's cleared up that it was somebody else that shot her. But I just, it's a great... It, she I, is charismatic, though. That's the okay. thing. That is where Katniss... Uh, that's a hot take. Let me... No, she's not charismatic. PETA is charismatic. Right, that's his whole thing. PETA can perform. That's his life. Katniss can't perform, but... But that is what makes Katniss motivational. That is what she's doing there. She gets a little bit of prodding from Haymitch to put her on the right track. But then, like, she's got it. Because she is... I Like, I think, like, once Snow put her at the focal point, she makes sense as the Mockingjay in the story to me. Sure. Right? Because she is... She has so many powerful speeches. And you get them in the moment. Because she's not a leader by propaganda or a leader by words she's a leader by action and so that's why when they do the the propaganda posts they have to put her in actual conflict in actual situations because she has a spirit and belief that the people can align with and resonate with that's why the person aiming the gun at her is not the one to shoot her because she can speak with him she she's connected with him now there's some other schmuck there. It's really a funny moment in the book because she's like, I look above and I watch myself get shot. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's like, really oh, good. Katniss. It might be one of my favorite lines in all of the, the series. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. But, yeah, I... And, yeah, I don't mean to, like, take away that she has those qualities, those great qualities, the all, pretty much heroic qualities at some points. Um, I, I would say volunteering for Prim even in the very beginning is a very heroic thing to do. I mean, that's... You're essentially resigning yourself to death, you know, for for that. So that's that would be very hard, I think, to do. So, I mean, she's definitely... I like what you said. It's the action that, that makes her... That's where her level of charisma is. It's not in words. It's in the actions that she takes. And that does make her inspiring. I definitely to in the story itself. Um, but yeah, I think that she's supposed to be inspiring at least a little bit. Um, so I was kind of interested about that. 
before we move on from Katniss, do you have anything else that you really wanted to say about Katniss or anything like that? No, I don't think so. Cool, cool. Well, uh, as some would argue, the most important character in any story is the antagonist. Um, and you've already made your villain stance very clear on this on this podcast. But uh, there is an antagonist in the Hunger Games, and I would say that antagonist is present Snow the whole time. Although I, in the first book, he's not very present, but I think his understanding the whole story, he's definitely the antagonist. Um, and so, how do you feel about Snow? So I almost feel like I. It's hard to change that just because having read um, the prequel, having read how Snow came to be who he is, like I know a little bit more, but I, I feel like what we get there is just like the background to everything we see now. And he's he's a dark villain. He has no qualms about the things that he's done in order to maintain power. Um, he's evil. He's, he's a good villain. He... he makes uh he kind of meets the criteria i talked about for the villains that like impress me is he's a snake he's got that like that crazy control you don't know how far his reach is somehow he knows about the kiss between gail and katniss when they feel like they're in private um the manipulation of the games what's happening in the capital when they go to take it over like he's a very like he feels like an all-powerful force not necessarily because he particularly is strong, and what you get more background on um, from A Ballad of Songbirds and Six is he's just very charismatic. He's very good at, at getting the right people. He's very good at being um, underhanded and sneaky. So he's that like deceptive snake villain where you you simply do not know what he's gonna do next, and he's got a full government at his disposal. Yeah. Yeah, I really like Snow. I I think his his presence is scarier like his the feel of him throughout the story is scarier than his own presence usually in it. He's just a man. And in fact, we kind of learn like a dying man. He's poisoned himself through various years and so like he's not even a particularly strong man like in a one-on-one i i probably am betting on katniss i like if that was the only problem but it's his his presence and stuff like the one rose in mockingjay that's on the dresser uh is it the dresser in her room or yeah, or it's in her house regardless. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it's in her room, but... Like, it's those things that make that make Snow scary. But, and you kind of already... Did you already answer, is he a good villain? Yes, I think he's an excellent yeah. villain. Yeah. Do you think he's an intimidating villain? Is Did he strike you? Did he intimidate you? Well, yeah, I think as, like, with what I said before, like, is is it, like... If I were in a room with him, would I be afraid of him hurting me? Like, like that kind of, like, physically threatening himself. Uh, no. But, 
I mean, or maybe, but probably not so much. But again, it's just like, it's just his power. It's his reach. It's the understanding just like with what we see with what happens with PETA and with uh, Annie. Like, he's just, he's willing to do whatever it takes to break them down. And he knows how to do it. Like, he's inhumane. I he also and we'll talk about coin too at some point but what I like is nothing he did seemed insane to me Uh, certainly inhumane for sure Um, but you can see the logic every time you understand why he's doing it and he just has no human emotion. Like, the, that, um, the, the main difference, you know, as an antagonist, he's serving as a foil in some ways to Katniss, his protagonist. And the main difference, I think, between them is this, uh, like, sense of morality and human life being a value, right? Because it's, no, it's not really of much value at all, it seems. Whereas Katniss, it's, it's, of a very high value and it starts as like prim and her family and gail but by the time we get to the third book she's generally remorse genuinely remorseful about um not just the rebels who are fighting but even the enemy at at some points and just like this death and destruction not not being worth it Right, she has several of those moments towards the end of mocking Jay, um, and so I think this is the main contrast between the two of them because she's also calculating, she's also very, she's also I would say cunning, but that this is that morality is what is what stops this line. It's actually I think what makes their last conversation in the garden so interesting. First of all, let me tell you I I like Snow a lot. But let me tell you what my favorite line from Snow is. Uh when he says I thought we agreed not to lie to each other. There's something even scarier about a snake saying I'm intentionally not lying to you. Because the problem the problem is you don't know if they're telling the truth, right? Yeah, yeah. So you don't know if you just you can't tell if he is lying or not lying. I think I think he's telling the truth, but that's almost scarier, I think. I I like this kind of let's put all of our cards on the table that he does with just Katniss. Uh, it's it's very interesting and it's kind of haunting, I think. I think that's part of his ability to read her is just... I almost feel like I'm not a person that's like very good at being like charismatic or deceptive. Like I'm very like... Yeah, tell the truth always like to a fault compulsively <laughs> do so but i i have to it's imagine a good trait, by the way it's a good trait to have but i have to imagine that for people who follow the more like 
of snake mentality doing the things that snow does is eventually you do come across people that you understand will never believe you and so like you like you understand like you cannot trick them and so what you must do is squish them so i do think when he talks to katniss he is openly honest the whole time and it's and it's literally just a, a brute strength competition may the best may the best one win yeah it's very good i think he's a great antagonist for the series for sure uh, did you have anything else to add about Snow before we move on? No. Okay, well, luckily, we only have three novels worth of characters to talk about, so pr- pretty small. Now, I've given you, like, a list of characters that I'm going to ask you about. We're kind of going to, like, just go through them. Um, and if there's any other characters, when we get to the end, we can talk about those, too. These are just the ones I want to discuss, because uh, I think they're important in the story. So, how do you feel about PETA? He's perfect. Oh, he's real good. I love him. Mm. Would die for him. In good, the words of Hamish, anyone could live a hundred lives and never deserve that boy. That's true. I mean, That's he's true. specifically calling out Katniss, but I think it's applicable to all people. So I... Oh, looks like you're good. I have one negative about Peter. Are you ready? I suppose. He is absolutely useless in all combat scenarios no he's not no he's not no he's not one thing give me one feat give me one thing that Peter has done okay on screen on well okay you know what I mean in the pages and here is why you're not gonna find it on the pages we have a first person POV and we have got PETA, who is a lot more good-natured than Katniss. But PETA is capable. PETA squares up against a career and ends up with only one leg injury. It's it's deep. It's not good. But he it's gets... It's bad. It's so bad. It's death. But he gets away. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's impressive. He gets away. We know who Kato is, especially for the fact that Peto is pretending to be on his side. And then clearly we had a moment of betrayal here. Kato would have been sadistic. So it's not like, oh, I'm just going to leave you here to bleed out. Like, Peta got away. I mean, that is kind of also sadistic. Let's not. Right. But But I get what you're saying. And so there's that. Um, so Peta Peta held his own. Peta is strong. Yeah, I'm not saying he can't like do things. I'm saying he's always dead weight. Every time we meet him, we ex- encounter him in the games, in the battle, in the capital. He's always like not a combatant. He, something has hindered him every time. I just want to see him. I just want to see him knock somebody's head in. Is what I want. Well, I mean, he did strangle Katniss. You know, the one time we get to see his yeah, physical yeah. prowess. <laughs> this um, is what I'm talking about. But I think that's the point of Peta's character. So, he, in the first book, you know, he just wants to protect Katniss. That's really what he's thinking about. What he's doing. So he lines himself with the careers. He, uh, isn't 
trying to kill anyone. He's just trying to protect her. Um, so he's a little more devoted because he's also not experienced. He doesn't know how to do the survivalist thing because he's been a baker's kid. So yeah, he does seem a little more like dead weightish in in the first book, but at the same time, he is super crucial to Katniss and and how she is in in the protective vibes and like the emotional connection there. And then in Catching Fire, uh, he can't swim. He is so physically nerfed in comparison. That's what I'm saying. I think maybe to look, make Katniss look better, but it just seems like he's got this problem of always being dead weight at different points. Now, never on the inspiration front. So I think about in Catching Fire, it's him that goes to Hamish and Katniss and says, "We got to train. Like we got to get ready to go back in this thing." Like and 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 without him, I assume. They both would have just been drunk on the floor. Yes, but I feel like I don't like this dead weight. I feel like it's better to say he carries a different weight because he's very capable. He's got his own driving force. He does his own thing, but like because he does, he does hold his own. He does do combat and things when they're taking the capital, when he's on the ground with Katniss, and he's doing that while battling the demons in his brain. It is really regrettable that I feel like it's been a little longer for me reading the series, but the only on-screen physical violence you really see from PETA is the two times he attempts to kill Katniss. Um, <coughs> I don't love that for him, but I don't know, I wouldn't call him dead weight. But he's just dead weight in the sense that he is the emotional counterpart of our pragmatic lead. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I. All of that said, I really like Peta. I think Peta's a great character. I think Peta is crucial to the survival of everything outside of the ring. Outside of combat, Peta... If Peta wasn't here, we'd be dead. So, like... He's very crucial even to their survival, just not in that combat sense. And you kind of even mentioned this, like he's the baker's kid. He he has eaten his whole life. It's one of the reasons why he's so strong. He's as strong as he is, is because he, he hasn't struggled in the same way. And so, yeah, I mean, he carries a different way. I say he's dead weight. That's obviously a drastic, you know, scenario. I just... He just finds himself in these positions in both games where like when he runs into the force field in catching fire, I was like, Oh boy, here we go again. I could just I knew we were gonna be carrying PETA for a little while. Just cause I it felt familiar from the first book, you know? Don't blame him for his plot I devices. I don't blame him. I like PETA a lot. I think the he is an incredibly strong character he has an incredibly strong character i think that this is best exemplified actually in the last book um where he does have to struggle with literal brain conditioning that has made him not be able to trust his own ideas his own thoughts his head and he still is able to fight through this and obviously we see 
at the end of the series, at the end of the story, he is fully, or most of the way, has dealt with these things. He's married to Katniss. I have to assume he doesn't want to strangle her still. But he, because of who he is, he's able to get through this, and we see him do that. It's actually kind of impressive. I think it's very impressive. Um, that, and it shows just how strong internally he is. And I think that's impressive. Anything else on Peter? No. Okay, well then we can move on to the less fun member of this triangle. Uh, how do you feel about Gale? He makes me grumpy. Wow, okay. That's a I, interesting way to put it. Like, Gale starts off great. And there's something I do... I love the team that he and Katniss are. They have, like, really cool moments where they're just so in sync. And that's really cool. And that's, like, a fun dynamic to watch. But they're... He's too similar to Katniss and, and so consumed with, with hate. And so it's just... Maybe I could enjoy him on his own, but like as he's paired with Katniss, it's just frustrating the way that he pu- seems to punish her and like treat her. Like I don't love yeah, that. It is like they. <clears throat> so I think because if you if you analyze the dynamic, and maybe we'll get into this later, more of like the love triangle vibe or whatever. But like the dynamic is, I think. For Katniss, it was never, like, she was never thinking romantically. Like, she never had interest in developing anything with anyone. She's she's too pragmatic. She's been hurt too much. She's very emotionally closed off. She's literally, like, looking at survival. And Gail becomes integral for that. They're, they're friends. They work together. But she's not thinking that way. And he's not thinking that way. We we know that he's had other relationships, so it's not like he's been quietly pining the whole time he's known her. But he doesn't realize he might like her or have any kind of romantic feeling until a flirtatious comment is sent her way. And then he realizes he minds and has an attraction to her, which, okay, that kind of irks me conceptually, but I'll allow it. But six yeah, but- months... That's, Six months yeah. he sits on that and doesn't act on it in any way. That's not that surprising <clears throat> to me. That that kind of... It makes sense for who Gail is. But what doesn't make sense, or what what's... Or even if it makes sense, it's still not fair, it's not right, is then Katniss is put into a game and has to survive. And this relationship develops and she's... And he's gonna get hurt that, like... And, and some of this, I mean, you get it a little bit in Catching Fire as he reflects on it um, because he kisses her and says, like, I needed to do that at least once as and gives you some kind of, like, bitter feeling. And even Katniss kind of wonders what during uh, the Hunger Games, like the first one, Katniss wonders what Gail might be thinking. And the movie kind of gives you some, like, ugh vibes when he's watching it but he never said anything Katniss did not owe him anything but his attitude is like she's betrayed him in some way yeah because he's the worst and then that (laughs) but then that continues even 
you know, they get through, and when they're together, like, there's a war going on. There's a rebellion happening. There are people held prisoner. But Gail still finds the time <laughs> to yeah, say yeah. things like, I'll never have a chance as long as he's captured. He sure does. He'll say things like, Slow I knew you'd guy. kiss me. You always kiss me when I'm hurt. Yuck. She's emotional, kisses him for comfort. And you know, this is a little more respectable where he's like, it's the same as kissing a drunk person. It doesn't count. But he's still, look, I get it. I get it. Your feelings don't die just because you're in a rebellion. Like, you still love someone. You you don't know when, when it's your last day, so you want to have that connection. I, there's part of me that gets it. But if you really loved her... If you really cared, you would understand. Maybe, maybe Katniss doesn't have the space for your emotional mess. He was jealous of Finnick. Finnick who's in love with Annie. Finnick who's traumatized. And he's still like, I noticed you two were getting close. Like, Here's the thing. like be Here's quiet, the thing, Gail. Stop, 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 stop. I want to put it in perspective. Finnick is the hottest human being you've ever seen in your life. It, I don't care what he's saying. I don't care if he's like, "Hey, I, uh, you dropped this penny." I'm, I'm a little worried because he is the hottest human being in the world. Peta's not concerned about it. Peta was unbothered. Of course, he's not concerned. We stand about an it. unbothered king. <laughs> and that quote is perfect. I, I think Gale, the more, <laughs> and this is kind of funny. The more I see of Gale, the less I like Gale. The first book, The Hunger Games, the book, I felt great about Gale. I was like, nice. You're going to hold down the fort. You're going to make sure the family doesn't starve to death. I love that about you, Gale. You stay over there, and we'll, we'll figure this out when we get back home. Second book, I like Gale a little less. Still like him. He's still okay. He's got the he's got the rebellion fire a little maybe too early, but I I like him still. He got whipped for it, right? We we figured it out. Uh, I still like him. I can't stand him in Mockingjay for all the reasons you just said. I just it's a lot during a war, Gale. We got bigger fish. Why why are we why? Yeah. And, and again, in the, in the contrast of this. So, Peta, Peta and Katniss do have this conversation at that. See that the end of the first book, beginning of the second book, but they they have the conversation because Peta just believes during the first Hunger Games he believes his dreams have come true. He believes that <sighs> that's he's, really sad. He's gonna die, but the woman that he has loved quietly but hasn't, and Peta never approaching Katniss makes sense because of who Katniss is. Because Peta Peta throws her the bread in the most awkward way, and and maybe maybe he would talk to her about it. But everything in Katniss's demeanor would would say, "Do not speak of this," because like they make eye contact after it happens, and then she immediately looks away. And so Peta's like, "I've embarrassed," is probably like, "I've embarrassed her. I've done something. She does not want this interaction." So he continues to appreciate her, but understand, but like respects her standoffish boundaries so the hunger games is 
it it feels real to him. He doesn't know she's pretending. But then what he asks her is he doesn't he, he first asks, I think I think the way he says it was any of it real. And then he and then he stops and he doesn't make her answer that, but he says how much of it will remain. And so he's quiet and he's hurt, but he always shoulders that and he never blames her even as they go through the farce like the proposal thing like sometimes he needs to take a minute to himself but he never makes Katniss feel bad for it and Katniss feels bad because he never makes her feel bad like it's just so different well I think that's a a difference in kind of how him and Gail approach this and why maybe there's a lot of frustration in the fact that Gail like doesn't recognize Katniss until someone else says something makes that makes a comment Peter Peter genuinely loves Katniss and so most things that Peter does says you know goes through obviously i'm talking about before mind tracker jacker problems uh like these thing it's run through a filter of how would this make katniss feel how like is this helping or hurting katniss not is it helping or hurting me um and that's i think makes the world a difference that's why he says things like that He's not putting it on her because he's not going to put anything on her because he actually loves her. Whereas Gail, I think, not it's not that Gail doesn't love her, doesn't care for her, but Gail is more self-centered. And I think that comes from a pragmatic, I have to survive the day mentality that, that, that Gail has been forced to have, that Peter hasn't been forced to have. Well... Okay, in the Hunger Games. But even then, Peter was still trying to have someone else live. So Peter doesn't have, hasn't had to have that. And so that there's just a difference. And I think it makes Peter infinitely better in this love triangle problem than Gale. Um, but this was about Gale. Did you have anything else to say about Gale? No, I think I've slandered him well enough. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, oh, no, I have one more thing. No, I have one more. Um, it, this, like, bothered me. I, so he is a miner, right? And he did at least, like, a year of working in the mines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they get to, uh, a rock fortress, and they, and he says, uh, oh, yeah, so not only has he worked in the mines, does he know what it feels like to be in a mine, but his father died in a mine, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so they get to the fortress in District 2 in the last movie, and the he nut. says, the nut, and he says to seal it off, to, to trap them in there, to die. This is messed up. And they kind of point that out. Like, Katniss's reaction to that is, like, is the reaction of, uh, do you not recall that our fathers died in this same scenario? I, it's unfathomable. It's one thing to inflict horrors on others that you're not aware of. 
that you don't have personal experience with so you don't know what it feels like right i i can understand that as a less empathetic person i can get that but this is a fear you would have this is something that would would terrify you and he's willing to do it yeah that's that's i wasn't gonna comment on it but you called gail pragmatic and he's not Gail is not pragmatic. I mean, I would argue that's super pragmatic. (coughs) No. He, I think he could appear that way. But what Gail is, is is callous. And he is fueled by angry emotion. Because they are, these are random. Like, yes, they're they're doing bad things technically. But like, these, these people in the nut, these random workers that Gail encounters, whatever... They're just people doing their nine to five lives. Like they they are not in the government. Well, I mean within the nut they are, but like some of they're just like doing their nine to five. They've not personally done a thing to anyone in the rebellion. They may not even really be strongly against the rebellion. But Gail's very much like capital citizens are evil. The cap like if you re- if you support the capital, you're evil. You're helping capital, you're evil. So his decisions are justified by his hatred for the capital. So it can appear pragmatic, but that's because he's just associated them to be the enemy. Like, I'm curious how that same interaction would go if what they had to do was do a similar kind of thing, but like in District 8, in like a further removed district where you know there's some peacekeepers, but it's mostly the citizens of the district. I'm curious if he would be as callous as he is with District 2 that we know is a capital favorite city um, and has always been support. See, I don't know if he's pragmatic as much as he is hateful. That he is any any means justify his ends of defeating the capital. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I... I... I'm just more disturbed by the callousness to 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 be able to inflict a fear you had on another is it does show true hatred it it shows that you want them to suffer oh it's awful Um, (coughs) yeah so uh we don't like Gale I feel like we've made that pretty clear I feel like we've we've gotten that across yes which brings us to Hamish uh, another very prominent character how do you feel about Hamish? He is brilliant and delightful, and I love him. He's so clever. He he's he because he looks like this brash drunk, right? He he's a he's made himself a joke, and like to some degree he is, but like he is like he has to be. While it's not clearly commented on. He is a functioning alcoholic, meaning he is perfectly capable of well-reasoned thought and and ability and reaction time and all that while under heavy influence of alcohol. He simply pretends to not be. Not to say we don't have a few times, such as when PETA stages an intervention between him and Katniss, that he might be legitimately sloshed. But it's all sure, a ruse yeah. to be the crazy, laughable drunk. But he's he's cunning. He's brilliant. You see that in his Hunger Games that he competed in. 
You see that in the way that he guides Katniss, their unspoken connection that they have. The way that he guides her through the mic to know what to say, what to push, what to do. He's very capable, so he's very cool to watch. And I I have a thing for the gruff dad character in, in all things. So Love he, that not perfectly, but a little bit, scratches that itch for me. Yeah, and he kind of does act as a surrogate-ish father for for Katniss, especially. I love their communication in the ring. That's one of my favorite things to see. It's very... How he is able to communicate by sending various sponsor gifts to Katniss and communicate so well. Where Katniss picks it up. I think their similarity helps him in that. To be able to do that. Um, And I like... He is also very pragmatic. He's very similar to Katniss in a lot of ways. I think he's very pragmatic. Um, He, he though... uh, There's just so much, like, sadness, I think, that is carried with him. Like... And, and there would be, right? He's the only known victor that we have, right, from District 12. And so that means that every year he watches two kids die. Two kids that he has to get to know at least a little bit. And then he sends them to their death every time. So that would kill you. I mean, that, that would be very hard to see. I imagine. Like, there's there's a reason he's got a heavy supply of alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he does care a lot. He cares a ton, especially I think after both Peter and Katniss make it out. He cares a lot about having them survive, about helping them continue to survive. Um, obviously, making the whole plan with. Plutarch um, to get them out of the quarter quell. I I just like Hamish. I think I think he's very he is a very sympathetic character. Yeah, I just, he's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I agree. Do you have anything else to say about him? I feel weird not saying more about him because like he is one of my favorite characters. I I don't want to spoil it for the end where we say who our favorite characters are, but. Um, he's one of my favorites, but I, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Finnick. How do you feel about Finnick? Finnick hurts me. Heart. Mm. Oh, my bad. Soul. It, it's so painful. It's. Hurts bad. It hurts bad. <coughs> I just, it, it was, it's so hard to like know his story. Cause I remember as you were reading it and talking to me about it and you were like, oh, Finnick uses women the way Hamish uses alcohol, <laughs> um, and I, I was like, oh, oh, sweet, sweet man, you do not, you do not even know the half of this pain, and just to know what Finnick's been through, the way he was sold, that, the that the person he loves is someone who is has severe PTSD and is very trapped in flashbacks but like that he loves he could have his pick of anyone and he loves her he's such a good friend to Katniss 
as he's barely keeping it together but gives her his the piece of rope and and that bond that they have and just like the good friend that he is in the short time that he knows her it is so great the love between him and annie is like so beautiful and then tragic his death Ugh. hurts so bad his death hurts so bad learning that there's a baby at the end i don't that know that hurts more i don't know if that makes it less or more it's like annie's not alone but we'll never see finnick be a dad finnick i don't know if finnick knew he was gonna be a dad i'm gonna guess no it's just so heart-wrenching but it's like he's such like i think he's such an emotional character but if like you actually like, looked at finnick he's also such like a cool character like he is the youngest winner of the games at 14 oh he's incredible um so he's he's a monster with a trident like uh there's just there's just so much good there yeah he's incredible he yeah which is what i think makes it so like knowing the full scope of his story makes it so tragic and sad is he's at first he appears like this very attractive child prodigy guy like he's the victor's victor like he he's a great he he seems like a great betting odds for the quarter quell like but to know that that he's not this like ladies man that they think you know he's been actively sold like that i yeah and then to die like he i when he died I did. I wasn't doing a head count when they came up out of the sewer um, until she was like, and like I saw Finnick or heard Finnick or something like that down there with whatever the lizard mutts were. <clears throat> Can I also say maybe the worst word I've ever seen in print is mutation? Is that am I saying that right? Mutation. That's a terrible word. It looks fine in print. <laughs> But, like, mutation is terrible to say. Anyway, that's not the point. Uh, yeah, Fennec's incredibly tragic. Yeah, it's... I like... I love his introduction. I love his, like, sugar... Sugar cute. The weird... He's a weirdo, and that's perfect. It's so good. He's not even a weirdo. He's just... His, his persona, what he does live up for the public, what Snow thinks he's going on, is he just, like, lives up the flirtatious... Like, he does... It's his survival mechanism. Yeah. He's a flirt. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's alive. I do love the iconic... I think it's Boggs, like, makes some kind of comment about seeing Finnick naked. And I... That makes me laugh. That moment in Mocking Oh, Jay. yeah, to Katniss. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. I like how they all try to make Katniss feel un uncomfortable after the chariots in uh, the Catching Fire. They really do. They they do the most to poke at her. <laughs> Joanna just, like, strips naked. PETA, like, chuckles. Katniss is super uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. It's perfect. Um, did you have anything else on Finnick? No. Okay, so moving on. How do you feel about Senna? I have a strong affection for Senna, but I don't like... He is such... He's a small role to me. Like, I know, and I'm sure you'll get into it. Like, you've got a lot of love there, but... 
I I don't know like the designs are really cool the confidence that he gives Katniss the sort of like affection she enable he enables her to be able to have for capital citizens in a way like that's all really cool but at the end of the day while he makes very compelling designs like he's just he's just the costume guy but it's like it's cool that she has him as a callback even like after he's gone but she gets the binder and was told like oh we're told not to show you until you decided for yourself and he says like you know i'm still betting on you it's like it's like cool as like a motivational support character but like i wish that he could have been fleshed out more yeah, yeah, I think Sin is incredible. I, um, he's a huge support. He's a great support, I think, for Katniss. I think you hit the nail on the head. He allows Katniss to see the capital citizens as people, which is a key factor in her development in the story. That she does see them as people and not as enemies all the time. So that that's super helpful, and I think Sinna shows her that. And the prep team, too. I don't want to discount them. But Cinna mostly is the endearing factor there. And the supporting factor throughout most of the story, even, you know, after his death, he is still still doing, still supporting her, even, even in those ways. And I think that's really cool. I also think he's a great example of art being more important. The art itself being more important than the circumstances around said art. So, so Sina, Sina is a great designer and he's, he's going to do what he wants, what he thinks is, is the best way to, to do whatever the goal he's trying to accomplish is right in the various different parts of the story. Um, and it doesn't matter what the consequences are, and I even to his own death, which he must certainly know will happen, he still is willing to to stick to what he thinks is correct and, and use all of his gifts and abilities toward that end, even when it meant certainly his own death. And that's super cool to me. That's awesome. You got anything else on Senna? No. All right. Uh, how do you feel about Effie? I have, like, nothing for Effie. Like, okay, she's... Okay, that's fine. A little annoying, mildly endearing, maybe, sometimes. She doesn't really do anything for me, because she's not... She's not helpful for the plot. She's removed from reality a little bit, as most capital yeah. citizens are. Like, I just not a lot of feelings for her. Yeah, I don't have a ton on Effie. I just thought she was like kind of a. She's a character that's around a lot, um, but yeah, I don't have a ton for her either. How do you feel about Coin? Uh, same evil, different flavor. Yeah, oh for sure. It's just like it's still like it's still super rigid control of her population. The weird comment the one guy from District 8 makes about, like, that they need people for population purposes. Like, he references his, like, cattle breeding program. And it's like, yeah, they could have been helping. They could have done something. Um, and they didn't. 
And so, yeah, it's just, it's just terrible. Like, I mean, at the end, the reveal, as if we're trusting that Snow wasn't lying, like, it was Coin's move to do that, and Coin killed children and killed Prim, like, through this, this move, um, to gain power, and it's just, yeah, we just put evil under a new face, but it's the same kind of dictatorship. Yeah, I, so what's interesting I think and this might be too much into the setting but we'll figure that out anyway the differences between the capital and 13 look huge but the amount of control is the same it's a different outworking of that right so coins version of this snow's version is the, the bread and circus version, right? Um, you know, feed them, keep them happy, drown them in affluence so your citizens would never ever think anything's even wrong. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've, you're essentially draining <coughs> all of the resources out of the rest of the citizenry. Whereas Coin is saying the opposite. Everyone will get the same amount. Everyone will get the same thing. It will be divided evenly. But it it's so crucial that everything is accounted for. That it that it becomes incredibly oppressive. The same kind of oppressive as the districts already were. But better in that it's more equitable, I suppose. But the control level is still there. And so Coin, as a character, is as controlling. Is not really, in my view, is no different morally at all from Snow. Yeah. And they both have their own unique ways of hiding. Because Snow, like you said, is hiding behind the fanfare. He is hiding behind... The capital doesn't... Is so detached from the reality of the districts... Because you don't see, you don't see the poverty when you're focused on the party. But then Coin, to some degree, you know, I think that control is, her control is necessary in the sense they're trying to remain hidden. They don't want to start a conflict with sure, the capital. Sure. And, you know, when you're living underground, there are some greater restrictions to things. But it's to a level and to a degree that it's not necessary, but she's trusted up all under fear. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's literally just two different methods to the same end. Yeah. She's a very interesting character, but do you have anything else on her? No. All right. How do you feel about Plutarch? Plutarch, again, is kind of like a like a neutral. Like, he's... Yeah. He drops a good hint when he just thinks Katniss is going to be a mentor to yeah. help out because he doesn't know. So, like, he's, he's, like, a few, like, helpful things. There's a piece, but, like, he's not more of, like... I mean, it's just like a story vehicle. Like, he just kind of sure. pushed along, but I don't think there's anything particularly compelling about him. Yeah, the only thing I really have about him is that he... He's such a good betrayal of, of, of like, a, a neutral human. He... He himself, I don't think... He has a vested interest in 13 winning at this point because he's put his eggs in that basket. Yeah. But it seems like, up until that, his eggs were divided between two baskets, right? 
because he has made the head game maker for the last game. So he has to be in good standing with Snow, with the government of the capital, for him to be placed in that position. True. Um, and obviously, he was planning this kind of defection coup thing that's going on. Um, but he's not a good guy. I think Mockingjay makes it clear. He's not, he's not a good guy. He's not a guy that can understand the pain of those around him at all. He's, he is a game maker through and through. Like, that's, he is about the show. And, and if the show, it doesn't matter to him if the show is real or fake. It doesn't matter, like, if it's, if we're acting or if people are really getting blown up. It's about the show. Either way, he wants it to be a good show. Which is interesting because I think it's similar to Cinna. I think it's it's similar to this the art takes precedent movement, but done in such a drastically different way, where Cinna has used his art to implement his morals. Plutarch has drained himself of morals so so that he can pursue this art. I'm not sure if I agree with that. Maybe I'm a little like foggier on the on the Plutarch details, but I would say so. I mean, you could think like you could lean towards him being a bad guy, given that he's risen to the point that he's chosen to be a game maker. But you don't know how long he's we've been in this in the in the um <clears throat> in like the process for this because I'm thinking like you do have to sort of play a game. Like if you want to stage a rebellion, if you want. Like, you have to get people onto your side. So when was Plutarch turned over? When did he decide to work with the Rebellion? And did he make choices in order to get to a position of power to impact the Rebellion? So it's kind of like a behind-the-scenes idea for, like, the like the turncoats, the people that have switched sides. Um, and But there is, like, a more detached... Like, I think he does suffer from the capital syndrome of just not... Certainly. Not getting the reality of situations, but also I think he takes does take a more pragmatic approach where he's got a job to do. He's got to make, um, he's he's coordinate. He's helping to coordinate a rebellion. He's helping to get all the pieces in play. He is essentially taking his game making skills uh, and applying them to a new situation. Yeah. You got anything else on him? No. Okay. The last one. I have like name to talk about and this is kind of because I think he is an interesting part of the first book is is Kato how do you feel about Kato Kato it it's like I want to hate him but at the same time I really feel what Katniss says where like by the end of it like if you once like when she shoots him she's not shooting an enemy it's just it's just pity it's just to free him because you know what she realizes and what we have to realize is like yes there are the career tributes that go into this with a sense of like thrill and a sense of like accomplishment because they they have a success that they'll win but they are a product of their environment and so like of course if i were being sent into a mass murder ring and I knew that I was coming in having received some training, being well-fed, having apparent physical advantage, I would probably be feeling a little good about that. I don't want to be here, 
but I probably feel a little good about my my circumstances and my and my chances. And like, he is just a a, a kid. Like he's he's young. He's he's Katniss's age, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. I I forget which, but he's so young. Like he's just yeah. yeah. They were put in an impossible situation, and at the end, he is in this suit that they're they're just letting they're just letting him be mauled. Like the game makers, <laughs> oh, it's the worst. Do not have to do this. But there's also like, um, I, you know, not to go back to TikTok, but to go back to TikTok, even just like the partnership he has with um, Kato's partnered with Clove, right? They're from the same yeah, district. Yeah, I think so. Um, but. The scene where Katniss is fleeing and Cato comes and finds Clove's body after Thresh has killed her. And like Katniss can hear it in his voice, like that emotional connection. Like like he's a he's a person with feelings. Like he and Clove had some kind of bond, had some kind of relationship, like and he lost his partner, this person that was important to him. And it's it was like this humanizing element that he's just where you realize, like, because I think when you first enter the Hunger Games, you kind of think, like, oh, the careers are the villain of this. But they're not. They're their own tragic victim. Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about Kato, is if you were, <coughs> if you were on the fence about that, right, uh, If about them being the villains, I think his end... His being mauled by the mutations. <laughs> his being mauled by them. And, like, having the suit on that prevents his death from being mauled by them. Like, is such a clear picture of, like, he's not the villain. He's a victim, just like the rest of them. He's he's just a stronger victim. That's it. And so, like, and I, that moment in the first book where... where Katniss says something like he like mouths like please or something yeah. to her and she shoots him. It's it's like such a meaningful moment I think because uh, it's made clear that that he too even the most twisted of of our contestants is still is still a kid a victim of this system yeah and like with that like within that like even if we want to talk about like the sadism that's like seems to be prevalent amongst the careers is like is it something that i could personally do no but if you think about it 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 makes sense for what they're like raised to do is because you want to come off as a threat oh yeah you don't want people to come against you you don't want people so of course you're gonna like not only do they have this goes back up, but like you want to front a little bit to keep people from coming at you, and you want to set a precedent. And they have it, it. It essentially protects their district that you know avoid the careers, like and you, and, you, and you trump that up, and then so it doesn't matter. You know, even you know Thresh we know is is big and strong from the work that he does, but he goes off on his own to like hide essentially he doesn't actively engage the careers like he knows to be on guard yeah so, so like even that you can like explain it within like they did what it take they they chose 
what they knew would get them sponsors because they also learn people like the bloodthirsty character. You yeah. learn later on Elbaria gets her teeth filed because it's appeal to the capital. So you do what it takes to survive. You make yourself look like a threat. You do things that you know appeal to your audience. Like he's just his own tragic villain. Yeah. It's just sad. Yeah, those were the only characters I wanted to discuss specifically. Is there any other characters that you wanted to that you had something that you did want to say about real quick? Um or, I guess not quick. However long you want. Not really. I think I kind of got into anyone that I wanted to, especially like as we talked about the other characters. If there was someone that related, I kind of brought them up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the characterization overall in this is is very good, very deep. Oh, um, for sure. And fleshed out. I'm really fleshed out well. And like you said, some of the minor characters aren't as fleshed out as as well. But I really even a lot of them. I think you can see a deeper side to even some of the minor ones which I think is really impressive um, for for any story you know to, to be able to do so that does bring us to the culminating question of the character section which is Shania who's your favorite character in the Hunger Games Peter Peter Malark did it for you huh that yeah. makes sense any specific why other than what we've already said We've said a lot about PETA. We don't have to I mean, to I could treat everyone to another hour on PETA, but yeah. I think we'll just suffice to say, rewind the podcast, give it another listen, you'll yeah. pick up all of his best points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my favorite character is Cinna, ironically, um, since you called him minor. Um, and he is a minor me. character. But, um, yeah, all the things I said before. I just really, I he really impressed me. Um, all throughout the story and so yeah he's my favorite character if I ever read or watch it again maybe that won't be true but as as of right now he's my favorite character but that that ends our character section which does bring us into the setting of this story so uh, Shania how do you feel about the setting ah uh. Honestly, I don't know that I take the time to process setting, like, a ton. Like, I think that she paints the picture very well. I have a very good feel for where they are. Even, it was kind of fun, like, once I learned, because I don't know if on my first read-through I knew that, Pan, like, I or, like, understood, like, Pan Am was supposed to be, like, America, just, like, dystopianized. The fool. Right, Make right. that a word. But then it was, like, fun afterwards, like, piecing together, like, where the districts corresponded on the map, like, that kind of, that kind of vibe. So, I think she, she paints her settings well. The arenas were intricate and very fun. Um, fun in, like, a horrifying way once you consider sure, what's in them. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, yeah, so I, I liked the setting. Yeah, I think it's... Obviously a very tragic setting, but uh, uh, almost infinitely interesting one. Um, so this is, and you kind of hinted at this, this is a dystopia, right? This Pan Am is the future of America where you and I live. Um, and actually, ironically, if I'm right, District 12 is where 
is the region where you and I live, right? Appalachia. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, which is kind of funny. You know, it's kind of interesting as I'm reading, you know? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I'm like, this is kind of around the place where District 12 would have been. And so, like, when she's talking about being familiar with certain, like, trees and stuff, you know, like, I can easily picture that just because it's kind of where I've grown up. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool to me. But, as I was saying, this is a dystopia. And... So do you think this is uh I'm gonna I'm gonna say realistic dystopia and what I mean by that is like do you can you make the connections about how we got here? I mean I don't know and they oh sorry go ahead they don't really spell that out for us but yeah what do you have to say? Yeah so it was like basically like it's, I mean they don't say how we got there i don't think like i don't think we ever really get what what the fallout was but i mean as we all know when cash arguments happen like if they're like chaos you search for security so you know if this big event happens you're gonna rally around the people that you believe are the strongest and can get you through it and if you have good um charismatic people you have a good uh system there like then you develop the district you figure out you cordon off the sections and you just take control and i think once that's set up probably through like innocuous means then it's easy to to start cutting off supplies and rationing items and things like that that then take these areas from being cared for by you to being controlled by you so i think it's pretty plausible I mean, obviously, the advances in technology seem a little insane when paired with, like, the nature that something happened to, like, root, like, to make Penem what it is, in, in terms of how it is, but then we have all these, like, crazy technological advances, um, so I guess maybe that strikes me as a little off, but I just kind of ignore it. It's actually, that's one of the things that I think is kind of compelling, we, so we see a lot of technological things that we that we can't do even in our day, you know, 2023 here. Um, this being written much earlier than that. I'm not sure actually when this was written, but um, but they they have these technological advances that advances that we don't have, which makes me think that this is in a future. This is still a future time. Um, but what I kind of like about it is that you don't see any of that in District 12, in a lot of the other districts. It's centered around the capital, which is realistic in a society that's doing this, that's draining the resources of most of its land and population into one central population. It would make sense that that part would have all the advances in the world. True. Um, and then, but the dis like District Twelve is not that different than like a village now. You know that that kind of makes sense to me. I it was interesting, for sure. I I really one of the things one of the setting things that I really like is um how the the arena for the first Hunger Games and the Quarter Quell changes, right? 
how it, uh, like in the first one, Katniss is in her environment, and you didn't quite, I didn't quite understand how helpful that was, like for her to be in that environment until the the quarter quell where she's in an environment she's not familiar with at all. She's in like a tropical environment and she doesn't know what to trust, what not to trust. Yeah. And how much that affects her her survival abilities. And it would, and it would naturally. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you look it made me look back at the first Hunger Games and think, "Wow, it's it's really lucky that she was in the environment she was in in the first Hunger Games." Oh yeah, that determines so much. I like that like she makes notes. Some games have gone poorly. Like people froze to death in one. I think Annie only wins her games because the arena floods and she knows how to swim. Like the settings impact is is a lot. Like it really changes their ability to survive. Opening up on a like on the water like that. Like fortunately, Katniss knew how to swim, but like Finnick inherently has an advantage there. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, and even like the underground nature of thirteen feels very oppressive. Um, yeah, is there any other? Obviously, we've already mentioned some, but is there any other ways that the setting enhances the story for you? Um, if not, yeah, we've said a couple things, but not really. I don't know. I guess it's like partially setting, but also circumstances. Just like how much it shapes Katniss. I mean, just. The, the, the district she's placed into it's a forgotten district she's barely getting anything that she needs it's a dangerous jobs or what's available that leads to her father dying and like I mean it's just it's just she is she is because she's in district 12 yeah yeah so I I I have a huge burning question about this world and that's that if I'm to believe this is a dystopian future, what's happening to the rest of the world? Like, I, I know we're a little egocentric here in America, right? But, but I have to imagine that there are other nations throughout this world that, that the story takes place in doing things differently. And I, I'm just very curious if the... The power balance was so unstable as it is in this story. Snow's power and the capital's power is very precarious, mm-hmm. right? It just makes me wonder what are the rest of the world? Is there anyone else out there? Are they not invested in in seeing this system not be abolished? I just think about in our world when we think about regimes that are kind of like this, that are this, you know, dictatorship kind of thing, a lot of the world is focused on, okay, how can we resolve this and have this not be so terrible for the residents of that country, you know? Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of systems for that. But that was just a question I, I liked and I uh, makes me think about. That's really interesting to think about because, like, I... Because I have not, th- like, it's never crossed my mind. I've just been like, oh, we're at Panem. This is all there is. But, like, you're right. Like, is there, are there other countries going on right now? Do they, do they know what's happening there? Do they not know? Are they having their own thing happen? Like, what's going on? So this, 
I've never thought about it before, but it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah, I would say overall, I, I think the setting is, is very interesting. I like that it kind of takes place in a future <coughs> our world. Um, yeah, and I think it does help the, the story communicates what it needs to communicate for the story. Did you have anything else on the setting? Mm. All right. Well, then we will move on. Okay, Shania. So, we've gone over the characters, we've gone over the setting, and so the last piece of the story that we got to talk about is the plot. A pretty major piece of any story. Oh, you know. Um, especially a story like The Hunger Games, I think, relies very heavily on the plot. But before we kind of talk about some of the things I wanted to at least touch on in this in this section, what what are some of the plot beats that seem to stick out to you or mean the most to you that you want to start with? Um, I don't exactly know how to describe it, but I think maybe like, um, I mean, everything that PETA does is, is perfect. Boy has not made a wrong move ever. Um, this is just the PETA appreciation show. As it should be. The PETA podcast, if you will. Um, I don't know if we're going to go with the PP. I don't know if we can do that. <laughs> All right, all right. Um, but I think always seeing like the juxtaposition of Katniss and Peeta together, how they work, like any of their interactions, just leads to such like it's so gripping because it's the Hunger Games is not a love story, but the love story in it is so like compelling. So I love seeing them play off of each other, whether it's th- how they reunite in the first book and how they're going to take the berries together or how they play off of each other as they try to navigate catching fire and their teamwork and watching Katniss fall um fall for PETA I should clarify and then just like in Mockingjay like (laughs) coming back together (laughs) you know um yeah I don't know I just they have such really cool moments on their own like seeing Katniss like flex her stuff but i yeah like seeing them together like their big moments are probably some of my favorite moments okay yeah i can see that i think that i mean the as we've talked about the clear winner for the uh pita katniss gale relationship thing is definitely pita um i it's interesting that you talk about the love story i that is the part of this story that is not compelling at all to me. Not the PETA stuff. I think the things that you were talking about, like the berries and all of that, is compelling. I think that if it was just PETA and Katniss, right, and her slowly coming to understand that this boy cares for her an immense amount and that actually changes her perspective of him, I'm fine with all that. That I'm good with that. I, It's the, the weird triangle... Thing. Anytime this story talks about that, I was like, oh, can we just get back to something that's like dramatic and cool? Like, it, it, it was hard. That was the part of the story, the only part of the story, I'll say, that was difficult for me to get through were some of those chapters where we're just spending time dealing with that. Right, and I get that. And I think that's like what I'm like, kind of goes to my point where I'm saying like The Hunger Games is not... A love story so when we try to make it that you'll notice I ruled Gail I mean let me be clear there are some cool Gail Katniss moments there are I can't lie but I give me he, one cool Gail get 
Katniss moment? Um, there's two that come to mind, and it's really just like their synergy, like the way that they work together. And so where she hears a strange noise that she wants to investigate, and the guard is not going to let her through, and they kind of like quietly signal each other, and Gail like takes the guard out while Katniss pushes forward. That's a really cool beat. And then when um, they are in District... Eight, I believe, District Ten. They're visiting the hospitals, and there's a capital bombing. Bombing, not bombing. That's um, eight. That's eight. I'm almost positive. Yeah, but so they're there, and whenever these hovercrafts are materializing, they're in a V formation, and Katniss says geese, and they immediately understand what that means and fall back to their hunting system of how they target geese so as to most efficiently take on these hovercrafts. And I think those are cool because those are reminiscent, or those harken back to the who Katniss and Gale were before the games. That partnership, that friendship, the person that Katniss wants and needs Gale to be. But Gale tries to make it about the love story. His, um, his jealousy is so annoying. Oh, it's unbearable. And it's, it's, it's unbearable. just, it's painful because I think what gets me is I'm not saying it's wrong that he has feelings for her. I'm not saying it's not hard for him to like watch her, like love someone else or care for someone else. But like I am saying like, it's not the time, Gail. Read right, the room. Right. I mean, he was even getting jealous of Finnick. Like it's too I, much. See, I'll defend this again. Finnick is the hottest person on the planet. I, there's a li- I'm okay with a little bit of jealousy there. Not after you see him with Annie. Not the way he looks at Annie. My goodness. I could walk in Finnick's to that, you threat. naked with that man, and I would say nothing happened because it's Annie. Me personally naked with him? I don't... I don't I'm don't. i just not saying, me. not not Finnick, you know? Like, he... Okay. He wouldn't do that to Annie. You know That's, what I mean? I believe that. But, like, he doesn't know. I, this is not important in any <laughs> sense of the word. But fun to debate, nonetheless. I suppose. Um, so, I have just a couple, just a few things that I definitely wanted to touch on. And we might touch on some other plot points as we work through these. Um, but let's talk about the first reaping. The very, pretty much the very beginning of the book. Um... This is this is the um, what we'll call the call to action for for the whole series. Really, is when Prim's name is announced. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's such a a tragic, cool moment. Like what, like Katniss volunteering is incredibly true to character. It's a super powerful moment. It's interesting that it's like unheard of in the games like has no one ever loved their sibling this much um although i i kind of get that but i could also understand being like paralyzed by that fear because what this means is certain death and katniss goes into it thinking that too nobody from 12 thinks they're gonna make it out alive that's true. I think it really just like it shows to really like outlining Katniss's character that protecting Prim is, is like 
such a core tenet of who she is, which makes it, it makes it so tragic. Like she shouldn't be picked. It's her first year in the reaping. Katniss will not let her take out the, I don't think that I say right, tesserae, whatever, whatever it is that they get. That's like their fuel, their rations. That's how I said it. Um, So they get that. She doesn't let Prim take any out. And so Katniss does the most to protect Prim. And you see that even with, like, she doesn't think about it. She's just moving. She can't let this happen to Prim. So that, which makes Prim's death, spoiler alert, makes Prim's death so heart-wrenching. Because it was all, in a way, it was all for Prim. It was all, mm. even beyond, like, even if not specifically as in the first Hunger Games volunteering, but but conceptually, to end the world they live in, not, like, or like not the world they live in but to end like that government that culture to to keep prim safe forever and that doesn't that can't be realized because prim prim dies before it happens yeah in a very uh meta sense the games did kill prim they got to her eventually just not that the way became a much bigger game right right and ultimately much has changed about their world by the end of the third book. A ton has changed about their world. And I think we would agree probably positively, at least as we see it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, there is good that, that happens due to this. And if Katniss didn't volunteer, none of that most likely would have happened the way that it did, at least. Right? Um, but... It is, it is a tragedy. I I would classify this story as a tragedy because of Prim's death. Because ultimately, the games do take her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think Katniss is very cool. It's, it's incredible. It would be an incredibly difficult decision to be able to make in the moment. And that's why I wouldn't like put it past any siblings who didn't you know volunteer for their siblings it is so core to who Katniss is that she protects Prim that that it, it makes sense that that her natural her body's response to that information is to volunteer because that's so core to who she is and so like that makes sense but man it would be hard and this is a lot of the things I think Katniss does throughout this series are these moments that are very hard to like these things that she just kind of moves to do. She's not, we we're in her head because of the perspective of the book, but it's not these things. She doesn't like run through in her head. She's not thinking about this. She simply acts many times and it's super inspiring because this is core to who she is and she's yeah. just acting out of that but speaking of this is core to who she is and she's acting out of that a lot of the first games is performative for Katniss which is interesting because it's an area obviously she is bad at she's not performative right she's not good at that as we um, talk about in the beginning Pete oh, is the one atrocious yeah yeah Pete is the one who's performative Katniss isn't um but she knows people are watching her she knows she's trying to get sponsors that Hamish is trying to send them things or at least her things she thinks um 
through these sponsors, and so she knows she's being watched. And that one of the interesting things that comes out of this is Rue's death scene, and really the alliance with Rue in general, and Rue as a character. What do you what do you think about any of what I just said? I mean, I love the relationship that, it, again, kind of points to Katniss's true nature that I think she doesn't want to acknowledge is because I think she presents herself or kind of even likes to think of herself as a more detached, emotionless person. She's pragmatic. She doesn't have the feelings. Um, and that's part of what plays into... Um, her her decision like early on where she's she talks about like never wanting to be a mother never wanting to have a family and that reads so cold and detached but when you give Katniss a small life to protect in, in the form of Prim in the form of Rue that's what she does she feels this affinity this there's similarities that she finds to Prim just in, in the youngness the vulnerability the tragedy so the partnership makes complete sense to me and it kind of continues to be Katniss's thing even in like um Catching Fire where Hamish makes fun of her for like some of the people that she wants on her team that are comparatively like weak or whatever like like Katniss is not about the big brawny thing she's I think at her heart she's a protector and so she kind of gravitates towards people who need protecting so that partnership makes sense to me and the the flower um, grave, we'll call it, seems a little strange to Katniss's character in a way. Like, she doesn't seem like that kind of, like, as much as I think she's actually emotive, she's not sentimental in that kind of way. It seems like an extra endeavor. But I can also think of her, like, coming up with that spitefully, where she's still being true to her and just being like, no, she deserves all the beauty and memorialization that you're not going to give her because this was a beautiful young life and you took it like it's like a call out to the capital that's like the kind of like spite sentimentality i could see from her yeah and i think it there is at least a dimension a large dimension of that decision to do that floral arrangement out of spite because she does know she's being watched, and she does want to make a mark for Rue on these games that will be unforgettable. And if you're thinking about these being broadcast as like a show to other people, this would be a very this whole actual games right this the the first one would actually be incredibly interesting. I think as a I mean I'm not for the you know arena killing of children. But if you were trying to make like a narrative with it, it'd be, it'd be great. It'd be very easy as an announcer to make a narrative, and mm -hmm. this would be a, a crazy highlight, right? Um, but it also says, "Screw you, Capital. This was valuable, and I'm going to take time to to like present it that way, even though that doesn't make sense for me to logically do." Which is, uh. Yeah, I think it just betrays that Katniss isn't clinically logical. She is caring. Mm -hmm. um, and she's not dumb, but at the same time, she will sometimes act dumb because she thinks that there's something more important that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. 
And Rue's death haunts, I think, Katniss for the rest of the story. This is such someone who's she related with Prim so much that the shadow of, of death that Rue's that Rue's death causes follows her and she really feels that i mean we see in catching fire when they go back to the districts and they get to district 11 right yeah um where Rue's from i think so and they they see the the family and everything and they have to give those speeches how like impassioned like how deeply that this this has affected her not just not just rue even in that instance but even thresh who spared her towards the end of this game and how and how deeply that's impacted her and the the bread that they sent um, after yeah. his death. I really like that. I it's a really cool moment. It's a very emotional moment. I think in the story too. Yeah, Rue's death is definitely its own like ripple through in like the um the district eight or not district eight. But- what district is District 8? Why do I feel like District 8 is actually district the right one? District 8 is where um, the hospital was. Yeah. It's where the new... The president at the end... Oh, what's her name? The... That we saw fighting. Oh, yeah, that leader. It's where she's from. Yeah, I don't know why I keep wanting to, like... Maybe Wait, that's why... Where's the... She from 2. She's from 2, isn't she? I think she's from 2. I'm she's crossed. a victor from 2, isn't she? Wow. It's almost like I've done no research for this podcast that's going to be like three hours long. You're good. There's so many pieces. There's so many. I just keep mixing up because I keep feeling like District 8 is agriculture. But like the hospital and stuff is where the textile is. Anyway. um, All this to say, yeah, Rue definitely like sticks with them. And you can tell the feelings that Katniss has where she feels like she's being reproached until finally she speaks about it. And I like that Katniss addressing it is sort of what seems to be start the next moment of the movement. Like, they wait until Katniss does speak for that song to go up and that moment to happen. And I feel like it's almost like looking to see is Katniss gonna play ball? Meaning... Is this fire going to keep going, or is she already, like, snuffed out? Um, which is kind of... I don't know, Katniss becoming the figurehead is always so funny to me, in a way. Because that's not... In a way, she's a natural leader, but she's not naturally, like, the charismatic force to, like, draw... She's, like, a leader, but not in the way, like, a politician is a leader. She's a leader in, like, she's the person, like, on the work crew that, like, does the most and brings you along with her kind of leader. Like, that quiet leader. But, like, Snow makes his own enemy and, like, perpetually does it and makes her way bigger, gives her way more power than she ever needed to have. That's just kind of a little bit, like, a a self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, that I find kind of funny. I think... One of the things, though, about kind of the way the story is written is that we don't really know for a lot. In fact, I think one of the narrative elements in Catching Fire specifically is that we don't know what's actually going on out there. And there's a ton we don't know. So it does look like she's not that big a deal. But Snow is very concerned about the appearance of things. And that the appearance of things shows no weakness at all. And she's clearly is a weakness. 
She clearly is someone who has skirted the rules, as we'll talk about right now. The end of the first games with the berries, this decision to kill themselves, um, which is very cool. Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, you don't have to, but... About, like, specifically, like, the berry moment or, like, the behind-the-scenes, like, the perspective piece? We'll start with the Barry moment, and then we can kind of flow into... Because I also want to talk about that first confrontation with Snow in Catching Fire. So, we'll start with the end of the games, end of book one, and move into the beginning of book two. So, the ending of book one, I think it's just... It's sad to me. In, in just the sense, like, Katniss is making a calculated move. Like... It's it's both like she can't bear to kill Peta because like I think she does have some affection for him that she hasn't started to understand. She does understand the loyalty of the districts and like that she couldn't live with that. But she's also hoping. She's she does feel confident and this is where it does feel almost like it is a rebellion against the capital is that she's like they're not going to let me do this. And is like testing that out, but I think the sad thing there is like for Peta, Peta's perspective, and this hurts my heart every time, is Peta just thinks he he won that somehow, in fact, going into the Hunger Games with his crush did actually improve his chances of winning his crush and being with her, and so for for him, she loves him. She's fallen in love with him. And this is like a Romeo and Juliet level suicide. And that's not what it is. And whenever they talk about that, whenever the re- whenever the reveal comes, I don't think that comes at the end of book one. No, it does. Yeah, it does. Is it's it the in book one? the last thing they say. Okay. Because once that's revealed and they have the conversation, he's like... He first asks her how much of it was real. And then I feel like he almost can't bear to know that answer. And so he rephrases to the more palatable how much of it is left or how much of it will will still be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically to say, can we move forward as what we are now? And it's just, it's so sad because I feel like the answer was like, maybe. Because District 12 lives in obscurity no one's out there looking for anything like snow like they i guess like there's the victory tour but we could have played that way differently and snow could have like backed off on the limelight and maybe maybe katniss and Peta would have eventually found their way to each other again just living as victors putting on a show when the capital came to town maybe but moving on um or even if you had let them like have a tragic like falling out of some type, could have also worked towards your message of like even being a victor doesn't put you above the capital. But I feel like Snow just like makes her an enemy when he could have let her scurry back under a rock because that's who Katniss wanted to be. But when you took her rock away, she's all teeth and blood. Like. Yeah. This is one of my biggest problems with Snow as like a politician, villain, that kind of character. Because obviously this is not a story with like any kind of superpower fighting. They're humans, 
right? And they're dealing with human institutions. Um, and this is one of my problems with Snow as this villain. He's almost—he's too cruel. He's too cruel to make sense. And there are several times where I felt when I was reading it, I was like, Snow, this is almost so evil it, it's not making sense anymore. I Like, why are you so invested in hurting Katniss specifically? And, like, narratively, I do understand why. Narratively, Suzanne Collins in our real world wants this, wants him to be a villain. The central villain, right? And I think he could get there either way. But she does not want him to be understandable in any way. There's no... I I can think of no redeeming qualities about Snow. And I think this like kind of bolsters that. He's almost evil for no reason. Yeah. It's just kind of like what you said about that. Like, I... Yeah. He doesn't have to... It's the roses. Why? Why? Why leave the roses? That's a personal message to Katniss. It's not... You're not helping your cause at all publicly. Because no one knows. You just left one rose on the bookshelf. Nobody... Yes, you're going to psychologically unnerve Katniss... But if you truly were looking at this from, like, the political maneuver, you should know Katniss herself is not that big of a threat. Like, the girl, now especially, that she's a rebel in book three, is not that big of a threat to you anymore. She's a face, but not actual power. I think that's, like, the thing is... He understands, and this is the part where I think he's like cunning, is understands the power of a spark. And understands the power of the flame. And that's why, like in the district, when the, when the guy shows his support of Katniss, they immediately kill the old man. And, like, yeah. And it's... Yeah, it's, and I get that. Yeah. And I think it's like one of those things where it's almost like... I don't know if this analogy tracks. I'm not really, you know, I'm not a firefighter over here. But I feel like it's like when you see a fire and you want to smother the flame, like if you don't throw that blanket down just right, you're just creating more fuel. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I just, it does, it kind of like you said earlier, it does feel like he's hyper fixated. Yeah, and I don't know if this is answered in, like, in A Ballad of Songbird and Snakes. What you come to know is that um, Snow was a mentor in the 10th Hunger Games, perhaps? Very early on. It's like the first time mentors happened and they were capital citizens. And he mentored the female tribute from District 12. And there was, like, a romantic thing there, and there was a big betrayal thing there. So I don't know if he's got some kind of, like... I mean, I don't know if Suzanne Collins had this in mind when she wrote The Hunger Games, or if it was something she thought about to, like, how do I explain this fixation of, like, stomping out the rebel in District 12? Well... He's got some bad vibes from District 12, had a whole thing with a lady there. We just, 
which sounds like a petty silly thing but it's also kind of like the vibe of the capital is petty silly things sometimes well for sure i think that the vibe of the capital is petty silly things that's <laughs> that's a great vibe for them it almost <coughs> makes it a little poetic though for me uh now I'm gonna have to read a ballad of Songbird and whatever else it's called. A fun fact for you related to that with this lover thing is um, the hanging tree song that Katniss sings that comes to her mind that she sings on her own. Um, and they end up like videoing it and using it for one of their propaganda pieces. The hanging tree was written by that girl from District 12. I. Lucy Gray is her name. It was written by her about a guy who was obsessed with her that Snow was jealous of. That's simplifying the details a little bit. <laughs> ruh, ruh. But it feels like its own bit of like comeuppance. Like that, that song just like makes an appearance again. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if you've heard. They're, they're making that book into a movie. I have, and I'm very excited. Yeah, so maybe I'll just see the movie, but I'll probably read the book. The book is always better. Listen, we're not at the medium part yet. We'll get there. Um, we got a little bit more of plot to talk about before we get in there. Um, so, kind of going on into, and I'm going to move through these, but kind of going on into Catching Fire into the next book, um, one of the thing, one of the, there are several great moments. I think we've already kind of talked about some introduction to characters that were really fun, that that were interesting and stuff like that. Um, I think that the moment at the interviews where all the tributes stand and hold hands together is is like a really cool moment. Oh, that's really good. Juxtaposed with the fact that as soon as they get in the into the ring blood's going already i i think that's awesome and i think even katniss says in her head at one point like well what did i expect everybody was just gonna lay down their weapons and die like no of course not we're here to fight even after that show but that that demonstration was very very impactful and especially to know that in you know in hindsight right by the end of the book you know that several of these victors Maybe the majority of these victors are conspiring in this plot yeah. with 13. They know that's happening. That's really crazy. Um, and so this is a clear defiance of... And obviously, what is my one of my favorite moments in the, the whole show, I, or the whole book, I think I like audibly gasped when I read that her dress had feathers on it because I was like oh Cinna you're dead there's no way there's no way you're gonna live but it's that's amazing that was incredible that's what makes it my favorite character that moment was incredible that whole interview scene was really good to me um and one of the other scenes from Catching Fire I really liked is when they first found out about the quarter quell that that they would go back and Katniss like runs into the basement of one of the other Victor houses mm -hmm. and just lays there I it was such like a, a deep and cool picture of like this despair 
that just wrapped around her mm-hmm. and a little bit showing a little bit of that of the selfishness that Katniss is able to have now that she didn't have the opportunity to have and I say selfishness and I'm trying to use it in like a positive way she is able to focus inward mm-hmm. because Prim's not in danger her family's not in danger like she's in danger and she's able to feel that a little more and we get to see this this great uh, display of that which I it was it was it was like a hard chapter to read but it was a really cool it was a great I think depiction of, of that I think it goes to and like points to her trauma and I, I see what you're saying like the selfish thing where she's taking a moment to think of herself because she's traumatized by it and I think it's a little unfair because eventually she realizes like she's going back in but Peta probably is too or someone else she does care about is going well, in the right yeah. too and when she shows up to Haymitch <laughs> and he so kind of uh, comes at her like oh he was here hours ago but I think it's a difference in Katniss is always geared towards survival. Peta is always geared towards thinking of others and now specifically geared towards thinking of, of Katniss. But um, also, I, I think I might dare to say, I think Katniss was more traumatized by the first games than Peta was. Yeah. For for the pieces oh, of I like 100% agree. Katniss was on her own for for most of it whereas Peta had managed to team up with the careers which was probably scary and stressful but he was aligned with the power pack. Like they he was actively not being hunted by the hunters. So that's automatically he has shifted from prey to hunter which is a whole mental shift. And he's worrying about Katniss the whole time. But Katniss is, like, on her own, feeling betrayed. She watches a little girl die. Yeah. That can't be fun. And it's it's unclear who or how, like, many pe- people PETA may have killed. But Katniss has blood on her hands. Um, that she's got to cope with. So she's got to cope with, like, seeing murder firsthand. Murdering. And then when she's reunited with PETA... She's got, like, the graphic horrors of stuff that you know she doesn't have a stomach for. Yeah. And she right. thinks he's gonna die. And then add to that just, like, the complicated emotions of, like, the love interest and trying to figure out how to play up these skills that she don't ha- she doesn't have. Not to say that PETA had it easy. I mean, PETA loses a leg, which is a little underplayed moment of the movie. Um... So, like, Peter has trauma, yeah. but I think Katniss, at that point, has more. Yeah. Yes. I think that Peter's simplicity in nature helps him deal with these kind of... Helps him deal with traumatic events. Um, a little easier than Katniss, who's always thinking about what is the next way to survive. Um, but I agree with you. I think she is more traumatized. And I think maybe an escape mechanism for, for PETA is to focus on Katniss. And, okay, I'm not going to think about the fact that I'm absolutely going to die at the end of the year. I'm, I'm going to focus all my effort on how to get Katniss out. It almost serves as a distraction from your own imminent peril, which you're, you're a part of. But for Katniss, there's no choice. There's no other option. She's going back into the ring, for sure. 
because there's no other female victor in 12. Yeah. So she's definitely in. I forget if they actually pull, like, one slip of paper from the bowl. Did they do that? Yeah, I think it says, like, Effie, like, sick. fishes around for it. As if we don't know whose name's on that plate. Or on Gross. that paper. Gross. Um, yeah. Did you have anything from Catching Fire that you wanted to specific That you wanted to talk about? Um... I don't think so. I think I've been kind of like jumping around as we talk about different yeah, things. Yeah, we've been kind of moving through. I think I've kind of hit most of what I want to get to. Yeah, I I will say, so then moving into Mockingjay. I'll say, out of curiosity, if you had to rank the three books, how would you rank them? How would I rank like, them? Uh, favorite to least favorite. Oh, I don't know. I mean, if you don't have it, that's fine. I'm so bad at ranking because there's so much I love about them in so many different ways. So I don't think I could rank them. Yeah. I I only ask because I, I think Mockingjay, to me, is significantly less interesting than the previous two. I like Hunger Games and Catching Fire a good deal more than I like Mockingjay. And I think it's just, there's a huge... Um, change that happens in Mockingjay where we're not dealing with the games anymore right we're dealing with with the war which yeah. is different um and so I think maybe that's why I, I don't like it I still liked Mockingjay a lot I think it was a, a good conclusion to the story I just I didn't like it as much as the other two yeah um, but Katniss says once in Catching Fire and then I think thinks about it a little bit in Mockingjay. This idea that is District 13... Is it evil for them to have existed and not ever sent aid? And I just wonder what you thought about that. Like, how... The the morality of 13, what's your idea there? I mean... I'm not a fan of their leader. I find the morality um, questionable. Um... The comment about livestock breeding still gets to me sometimes, but at t- to some degree, I do get it because despite even like the presence of nuclear weaponry, like they do have this fear of being squashed. Like the rebellion happened, they almost didn't make it. Like probably the thing that saved them is the mutually assured destruction. Like one rebel up there was like, wait, 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 I found the big red button, guys, but. That was only going to, like, damn them all. But as they build back up, like, you have to make sure, like, you can have a big, like, you can deal a heavy blow, but if you don't hit an area that matters, it doesn't mean anything. If you swing and miss, it doesn't matter how much force you put behind it. So I think the sort of biding their time and waiting for, like, the right moment and the right energies where, like, they have a face for what they're doing and they can muster up the forces so it's like it's ta- tactical i guess sure yeah i agree i don't think every time katniss would say that i i was kind of like i i don't think that they're like morally off for that i just think that they're biding their time because they honestly don't have the the straight up manpower they need the districts to cooperate to have a war they don't have the manpower by themselves yeah yeah 
But speaking of their leader, speaking of Coin and her uh, eventual demise, what what do you think about this as a conclusion? And it's not the very end of the series. We'll talk about the very end in a second, how it all wraps up succinctly. But it's kind of the the last push, the second to last chapter. Uh, what, what do you think about those those events? Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's it awesome. It's so good, right? It is like the coldest thing Katniss has ever done because she just gets it. She just understands she's talked to, to Snow and kind of realizes it, or at least the seed of doubt is planted, but she's had enough of like the sneaky back dealings. And so she looks at this and she there's only one solution and she's prepared to die. And I can't remember... I've been seeing the clip, the movie clip in my head more, but I'm not sure if it plays out exactly like this in the book. It's just TikTok's been kind of rampant with these scenes. Well, I I have not seen the movie clip in years, so um, I might know. But when she when she shoots coin, like that is immediately she is prepared to die. This is one of those like I'm gonna leave the world better. So she goes, she shoots coin and immediately goes to take her nightlock pill. And PETA stops her. PETA's there immediately, um, which says a lot about who PETA is. That, you know, everyone else is watching this, like, fallout happen, but PETA goes to her. PETA catches what should have been this, like, swift motion. Because everyone's, like, watching snow. And then when the shot goes wide, we're, like, we're looking up there, like, no eyes should have been on Katniss, but PETA's were. Um, so that's cool in its own right. That's great, yeah. Awesome. But she was prepared to die. Like, she was... Yeah, oh, the understanding, sure. I cannot let this woman take power, but she's she's the one the crowd favors, so I have to... I gotta make them pick again. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah. such a cold, cool moment. Yeah, it's awesome. It's very cool. Uh, I, I don't know if we talked about this earlier. This has been a long pet long podcast but um i think this is why both katniss and Hamish voted to continue the hunger games in that meeting i think we need coin to be there and be undefended she needs to think that we're on board right um yeah and so this is because prim is gone now this is katniss probably at some level wants to leave the world now and she, but she she's still going to leave it, not in the hands of who is simply a palette swap for Snow. Because the differences are so minimal. Right? Yeah. You can see how this will become the new capital. Right? I, I can see. That makes sense to me. Um, but it doesn't end that way. Right? Um, and in the... If it was a true tragedy, it... It would, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. So what do you think about the the full ending, all things considered? How do you think that the story wraps up? Oh, beautifully. I like that we just leave Katniss thinking she's absolutely insane and gonna die any moment in this ma- in the depths of this mansion for a while while they're like deliberating. That just seems like a Hamish thing to do, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah that makes sense. But I love these agreements and how we're like doing our like little back 
we're do our own like back alley dealings where like she can go back to the district but she's got to do these like therapy sessions I like how um, the doc is just not he's just like whatever let's just we'll hop on a call every week and then the doc shows or Peta shows up and is like you gotta he can't keep pretending to treat you like he's gotta treat you it it's sad to me like I mean district 12 starts rebuilding but it is sad that Katniss returns kind of alone because she doesn't really feel like she has Peta. Gail goes on and works in weaponry because we knew Gail ain't worth nothing. Um, <laughs> I do, to be fair, I laugh, but I do think that is uh, an incredibly cold move of Gail. I get why he did it. I just it 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 feels very cold. It's just like he didn't have to. You know, there were still people. Like he could have had something there, but he. He just poured himself into something else. Like, he couldn't... It's almost like he couldn't leave the war behind. Because he was still working in, like, weaponry and defense. Like, he had to go there. So maybe it's maybe it's his own thing he's going through. But Kenneth was abandoned. The mom doesn't come back. And, like, again, I get it. It's very clear to me that, like, the mom is not mentally well. Yeah, um, sure. And so the loss of her husband and her daughter in with this district is like I get it, but like Candace is like alone then Peter comes back and it is so beautiful like she says something like just like the way Suzanne Collin writes it the way she gets into it like um where they like s- slowly grow back together and then like talks about the relationship and like the real or not real thing comes into play yeah. and it's just like you could probably write a whole love story on those on whatever that chunk of time is where um, she and Peter grow back together. Oh sure. And that's just like beautiful. The epilogue is perfect. It shows. Yeah, you like that? You like the epilogue? Okay. I I love the epilogue. I love that they. Um, it's. I think it's true, to, as I kind of talked about earlier with the Rue situation, I feel like it is true to Katniss's character to have children. Like, she was afraid sure. to. Uh, yeah, I agree. Because of what the world had been. But, like, Peta convinces her. And I think it's something she always wanted, but wasn't going to let herself have because of circumstances. But the circumstances have changed. She's changed them. So that's really good. I like that. I like that they're making a book. To record everything. Oh, Love the that. book is is precious. The book is an awesome idea. It's so good. It ends so beautifully, but it's still... And it involves Hamish, and it brings him in. Yeah, I like it. I like oh, yeah, book. Hamish, like, him getting that is so good. And I love that. I love learning that Annie's got, Annie and Finnick have a son. I I do not. It hurts. It, so it much hurts. Worse for me. But it's good. But I think that's what I love, too, is, like, even though I don't think she sighs away from, like, the dystopian universe she's created, and we don't just suddenly, like, in typical young adult literature, we might, like, wrap it all up with a nice bow and be like, ah, bad things happen, but it doesn't really matter. But it's kind of, like, the same thing, like, the, the, the epilogue is the same vibe of how Katniss describes PETA, like, that, that dandelion that tells you spring will come. Like, hmm. everything was bad. Sometimes things are still bad, but there's good inside that bad. 
And that's the, the bittersweet thing that the epilogue is, I think. Yeah, and not to get too far to the moral, but that's a pretty good that's a pretty good life advice. Oh, for it's, sure. Everything is hard. Sometimes, sometimes everything is hard, but there's hope there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do you have any more plot comments before we? take a hike to a whole new section of the podcast. Um, I don't think so. I feel like I kind of got to everything I wanted to. That is fantastic. Okay, so as much as we could probably talk about the the actual story and the characters of the Hunger Games for a long time, uh, we've got to do something else with this podcast as well. Several other things. And so the next section is the medium. The, the Hunger Games is, is a novel. It was written down as a novel. And that's the way it was presented and the way that you and I engaged with this story for this podcast. And so this section kind of tries to look at what what is important about that, about the fact that it, the story comes in the medium that it, that it comes in. So, Shania, what's unique and important about the fact that this story is a novel? I mean, that feels like such like a big question. I think I can only get into like the strengths that come from like this perspective of being in a book, and I think it's like also how you take in media. So for me, for like books, like I think I think a novel is the only medium in which I can so completely immerse myself in into what I'm taking in, and so I feel like that kind of immersion really helps to like have a world like this grip you and with that as part of that both like um like the first person style for this this is so i'm in this particular medium i'm able to be right in there with katniss and i'm feeling it i'm getting it in real time processing it with her and um colin's like uses this like super like the imagery the graphicness like I just feel like I'm there and I'm experiencing it and it hurts because I'm there I love them too I've lived it too like it's that kind of like immersive feeling that I think makes the story sink so deep and be so impactful for me at least yeah I one thing that that I think a novel will allow you to do um, is take as much time as you want. Right? And so, uh, one thing I actually appreciate about, uh, about Suzanne Collins and, and her writing is that every book is 27 chapters exactly. It They each have three sections divided into nine chapters. It's... There's something so appealing about it to it's me. It's weird that I never noticed. Like, I'm obviously I noticed the parts, but it never, like, clicked in my brain, like, that it, how it was divided. It's it's so formulaic. It's just interesting. I like formulaic things. Not everybody's like that, but I but I really like that mm-hmm. that kind of structure. Um but what I what I mean when I say like there's no like end like time span problem there is because the chapters can be as long as she needs them to be, right? I'm I'm sure if you looked at the books they would be pretty similar page count, but probably not exactly the same. Even mm-hmm. though they have the same chapter numbers, right? Um, 
And so she's allowed to kind of invest in this world and show us some things at a slower pace sometimes that I think is vital for for unfolding this story in such an impactful and meaningful way. I mean, that whole scene we talked about earlier I, uh, that I brought up about Katniss in that cellar after she finds about the quarter quell. I mean, in real time, like if you were filming that or something, that's several minutes. Yeah. At most, right? Otherwise, it'd be terribly boring. But she spends almost a whole chapter down there with Katniss. Because you can dive into to what Katniss is thinking and feeling yeah. better. And I think that's one of the reasons first-person first perspective really works for this, too. Because Katniss is such... Katniss would be a very hard character, I think, to understand if this wasn't in the first person. Mm-hmm. I think I think that, that we would have a problem with that. Um but, and, you know, this is obviously much shorter than the, the other section of the podcast. Um, but I saw at first, my first interaction with the Hunger Games universe was in the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Or the podcast, that's what this is, was in the movies, right? Um, and that was years ago. I haven't seen the movies in years. I... Uh, before this, I watched about like half or maybe a, even less than the first Hunger Games movie, right? Yeah. Um, just so I had kind of some idea about how the movies adapted this content. What What do you think about how they adapted the content? Obviously, this is a different form than the one that you and I engaged with for this podcast. But I'm interested to hear what you think about its adaptation. I. I feel like it's important to know that I'm a movie hater. If there is yeah, an really adapt if it's an adaptation, I am so critical. If you cannot put every page into a movie scene, then I don't want it. Um but I don't know, I feel like it's just it's it's just less when it's the movie, even like you, when you, you know, what you're not confessing is whenever you saw it before, you didn't like Katniss. No, you I didn't, didn't like her enjoy at her at all. Like what was portrayed no. in the movie. So what you could, and, and maybe this is a comment on how the movie's made, but I mean, even like looking at that, like watching this happen from that like third person limited perspective, whatever assumptions you're drawing about what Katniss is thinking or feeling, like made her not likable to you. But then like, being in her thoughts, knowing how she's doing things, watching that play out, that does make it make a difference there. And I think it's, um, I don't know. I just, I just always feel like books do more. You know, like I just feel like you can just like to the piece you said of like having more time, like going more slowly. Like I feel like you can just put more into a book. And when there's a movie, they always cut out something I love. Yeah. Uh, From the little bit I saw the first movie recently, this is my big problem, I think. That the book allows the first-person perspective that really helps Katniss as a character. And it allows for time. For for us to slow down, which is something that the the movie just can't do. Right? you got to pack a whole novel into an hour and a half. I mean, that's an impossible task. Especially one as detail-oriented oh, as yeah. The Hunger Games. So, I mean, I don't I don't blame the movie. I think it's a well-made movie. 
I think it's just so hard to adapt a whole novel into into singular movies. Yeah, yeah. I know I ask too much, but I'm gonna ask anyway. And that's fine. And that's fine. Is there anything else about the medium that that you wanted to bring up? Anything else about the fact that it's a novel that you thought would be important to share? I don't think so, no. Alright. Well, we'll move on then to my favorite part, um, which is the third the third part, the moral. Okay, Shania. So all we have left now to, to cover on the podcast is to get, as I said, the, the, the part that I find the most interesting about stories, pretty much the reason I started this podcast, and that's the moral. I, I'm very confident that any story we experience has something to tell us, something about the, the real world that, that we can take and, and look into and examine, um, and I definitely think the hunger games is no exception to that but should i as you think about the story and as you read this story what what do you think this story is about at its core that i think is such a complex answer because it's it's really i think uh i mean it's a clear social commentary on I think I guess broadly corrupt government and you see that explored like through the first two books it's more in like a do we are we complacent or should we rebel you know what is the rule when our government is failing us and is so corrupt and then once like that full war does break out though we shift into the the conversation of like what is it like just war theory the idea of what what ends and what means are justifiable, um, which is very stark in what Katniss is deciding between and the stance that like Peta takes on issues versus Gale. So it's I, I guess boiled down it's like just how what to do when your government is corrupt and puts you in their murder games. <laughs> that is while still terrifying, somehow less terrifying than the actual story reading it. Um, okay, so, then, what does it say about that? If that's what it's about, what is what does it say? If, it, if you think the question is, what do you do when your government... Say it again, say it exactly how you said it. I, I mean, uh, you might a, not remember. That's a big ask for me. <laughs> I, I, but I think, um, it's just like what to do when the government is cor- corrupt. Okay, yeah. So... What do you think the story is telling you to do when your government is corrupt? And possibly putting children in a murder game. That's a little too specific. But I will say, if you find that your government is putting children in a murder game, maybe let's implement some strategies. Well, I think it's what we see Katniss do. She tries to to motivate people. It's you You do have to fight against it. You do have to stand up and stand together. And that's what we see. Katniss, she starts as the single flame, the spark of rebellion, and grows to become this monkey where she gets people behind her who believe in her mission. We see the victors unite together um, and go into this Hunger Games. Um, like, they present the united front as, like, sort of a move before the game starts, but, like, that behind-the-scenes united front and rallying the troops and the rebellion in the districts and just 
the message of hope in dark times I think is very prominent even going to the epilogue then where we get Katniss and she I mean she's kind of talking about why she chose PETA but I think it still drives home the message of of hope the dandelion after the winter like there is hope there is new life so yeah I think it's I think it's you have to fight it's worth it there are things worth fighting for okay so you're saying that the story is telling us now what to what do you do when your government's corrupt the story says rebel and and not only does it say rebel but it's seeming to imply that that it is worth it there are things worth it to rebel for in that situation in what is clearly in their situation an incredibly harsh and oppressive government i mean this is like government oppression all that dials turned all the way up yeah and i think it's you have to fight back but also like in in a sense of like do the right thing like there's there's a morality there there's a line and one of the big contentions you see between katniss and gail is gail crosses that line and because in, in that rebellion in, in katniss um you know her fights with gail the fact that she kills coin is to understand that in that rebellion you can't become the people you're fighting against. Um, and so the importance of like not losing yourself. Because I'm not saying necessarily it's a call to arms for everyone. You think in the capital, Tigress gives them shelter in the bottom of her shop. Um, like that's that's its own rebellion. It's not massive. Cinna doing the costumes. It's not combative, but it is dissension. It is sure, yeah, speaking absolutely. against an oppressive regime. Yeah. Yeah, and so everyone in this in this instance has their own way that they can implement this rebellion, right? This standing up to that oppression. Right. So yeah, you're right, of course. Not everyone's a fighter. Not everyone's gonna be a soldier. Um, now there are soldiers and they are needed. Boggs is a needed guy, he's a needed presence. Right. Yes. Um, for the war to exist, but so is Cinna, and so is Katniss, for this rebellion to be successful to overthrow the oppressive regime. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that I, what I came up with was I think this story is essentially about rebellion against oppression, which is kind of what you said. Um, I would go even greater than governments. I think it's more encompassing. This is definitely specifically about a government that is oppressive. Um, but I think that the, this heart of rebellion, it actually is very, uh, it, it feels very spirit of the time that these books were written and they came out. That this young adult rebellious spirit was like a very popular thing at the time. I don't know if you remember when we we would have been in uh, freshman year, right? When these books came out, maybe late middle school, late middle school, early yeah. freshman. Yeah. So right in that period, I don't know if you remember some of the pop culture experiences that you had at that time. But it, what there's a lot of teen rebellious spirit, and that I think is a little shared with teenagers. But I'm thinking of like artists like Avril Lavigne who is like trying to present this punk rebellious persona. This was like the hot stuff at this point. Not to say that doesn't say this is a good idea or a bad idea, but simply says this is definitely a product I think of its time. 
I think if you wrote it now, it would be a little different. Um. I mean, I think the irony of that, though, like, yeah, if you wrote it now, it would probably be a little different in terms of, like, the zeitgeist. But the thing is, a big discourse in young adult um, literature, like, talking about dystopian in particular, is the dystopians of today are trying to be what the Hunger Games were. And they're not quite catching it. Like, there's something that she's done here that other dystopians just have not been able to to grab that same way. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is it feels very fleshed out and real. Uh, I think she kind of helped herself by setting it in a situation that feels so far from reality but has these semblances of our world, right? Pen M supposed to be in like the continent of North America right if yeah. I'm correct so like there's things to tie to there's things to uh, tie us to reality but at the same time the world is so wholly different than what we have around us that, that she can really she can play with that and play with the ideologies really well um, yeah I think that that the answer the story gives is certainly fight and it's worth it. It's it's worth it to fight. And I love what you added where you said, you know, you talked about how everyone does it differently, right? Tigress hides them in the shop. That's her fight. And that's that I think the story affirms that's a great fight. I think Sin is the best example of that, right? His fight was to design that those clothes his fight was to present Katniss as this beacon. That was his fight. And he did it with excellence. And that's why the story praises him so so highly, I think. Um, but that will then lead us to say, okay, if that's the answer, do we think that's a valid answer for real life? Do we think that's an answer that we we would agree with? If someone said, Shania, what, what do you do? What would you do? You know, under oppression. What's your answer? Do you, and do you think this is a good one? Um, I do think this is like the good and correct answer. But I have to say, I think, um, you know, a little bit of self-awareness is my line for how oppressed I would have to be before I started rebelling. Rebelling is probably too far. Like I've let them start a Hunger Games before. I'm like, whoa, 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 guys. We should probably have, we should we should talk. We should talk about this. I mean, maybe not quite that far. I would hope not. But like, I feel like I would let myself be complacent for far too long. I feel like that's just kind of something I know about myself. Well, that was true even about the people in this story. I mean, Katniss grew up for 16, right? 16 years. Yeah. Um, before she even entered the Hunger Games, and even. Pretty much, I think, throughout the first and maybe, like, a lot of the second book even, I don't think Rebellion is top of her list. Survival's the top of her list. She True. doesn't really... Uh, in the first book, she doesn't really know Snow. Like, he's not really an enemy, a personal enemy for her. That doesn't happen till the second book, where, they, where she can then develop that animosity. So, she's not that... She, she isn't looking for rebellion. She's not looking to overthrow this system. She's kind of pushed into that. And that's... Uh, we've talked about that even earlier in this podcast. How yeah. she's kind of, you know, made to be the Mockingjay. Even though maybe it doesn't suit her very well. But... 
yeah, I think when we when we face rebellion or when we face opposition, when we face oppression, I that you're right. There's a scale and we have a very hard time I think as humans deciding at what point on that scale rebellion is an option, right? Because I think on the whole society is great for us as human beings. We thrive because we're a species that is able to come together and to work on things as a unit. And if we didn't do that, we would get nowhere. I mean, we've been able to accomplish incredible things. I have indoor plumbing. This is a relatively new thing when you think about the whole existence of the planet. But we can only do that because we decided, you know what? This is worth it to come together and to work together. So societies is, is a good thing. That's, that's a great gift. Yeah. Um, and so that's where that rub comes in, right? But societies are run by people and people are corrupt, right? People, people twist things to their own advantage just as much as they need each other to work, to work together to, for good things. Yeah. They twist things. And so oppression begins. And we've seen that all throughout history, right? Um, and so it's hard to decide what is the line for rebellion. I think in that way, this world actually has, it's, it's very clear. This is, this should be the line. There's, there's, they are clearly on the side of, we need to overthrow this government because they are very, very oppressive. Yeah. So, so it's easy. That decision is easy for them. And I think the book doesn't necessarily touch on it, but I think, I think as far as the answer to when you're under clear and persistent oppression, what's the answer? I think it's a correct answer to say there needs to you need to rebel. There needs to be a pushing back. And that looks different depending on the situation, right? I think we have many examples of, of great uh, people throughout history who have rebelled in ways that are that have avoided violence. And that have even been affected, effective, um, that we can take from. But there are also rebellions that have been violent, but that have produced the result that they needed to result to to produce, mm-hmm. which is um, the 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 freeing of their people, and and the ability then for society to reconstruct itself. So that we can work together again, and we can become what society should be. Um, so, in that way, I kind of agree with the book. I, my asterisk here to that is I am very much weary of beginning that uh, rebellion stage. I I think we ought to hold off on that stage as long as we possibly can because of how good society is because of how needed it is unless you are positive that this can't be fixed we can't get in there we can't do some work together as a as a group and come out with with a a solution you want to try that first is what i'm saying and it's only when that is impossible is i do i think rebellion's an option Okay, yeah, I can see that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, while I think that's like the main 
like the overarching narrative. I think there's a couple other little things the story says that I that I found really interesting, and I wondered if if you well, we'll go. Whoa, hey yo, uh, <laughs> we'll go this way first. Um, is there anything that you thought? Think specifically about things that you picked up, and it's fine if there's not. I like I said, I, I have a couple that I that I wanted to talk about. But is there anything that you have on the top of your head that you would like to to talk about? No, I think like we got into that with just the the big thing. I think is the commentary on on war, and that's what stands out to me the strongest is the idea of um, so I guess like rebellion, but then also like the war, and is a war worth it? And yes, it is, um, is I think what they resoundingly say, um, even, uh, also like, it just, I think, I like that it's very real about the reality of things, like, history is written by the victor, and I, kind of ironically, victor is the, like, there are victors in the game, so it's kind of funny that they're at the table there with that, um, but... Just that they get to decide what it is. Like, after they've, like, cleared the board, like, you can kind of just reset it and tell a new narrative. But they... But Katniss pushes, and by making this book with PETA, like, no, we need to remember what's happened. We need to memorialize this. We need to make sure history does not repeat itself. Um, so, yeah, it's just alongside the rebellion, I guess that little bit of, like, war commentary. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I wanted to touch on. And I should have jumped on this when you said it earlier. I just... It, I was focused on the rebellion angle. But, um, yeah, I think the third book, specifically, focuses on the a little bit of just war theory. A little bit of, uh, like you said, how warfare is done. Um, and what's correct about that and incorrect about that. I don't... I didn't feel that the story specifically told me a, like, pro or con to, to war itself outside of should you rebel if you're under oppression. And we've dealt with that question, right? Mm -hmm. um, and their answer to that is yes. And so obviously their answer to war, is this justified, is yes, right? And I think actually, so the one of the first... Um, uh, philosopher, theologian, he did both... Um, to, to produce a succinct just war theory is, is named Thomas Aquinas um, and based on his standards for just war this war certainly fits in there the, from the rebel side certainly this war fits just his idea of what a just war theory is mm -hmm. right they are clearly um, being oppressed and they are clearly retaliating to stop the oppression now sometimes they do things that are war crimes and that's what's interesting. Sometimes they do okay. a little work, right? Occasionally. The capital is... There's so many war crimes. I, the, the capital itself the capital is not... The capital is a war crime. You cannot... Now, part of the problem is District 13 is both the home base of the opposition army and the civilian housing of the opposition. So where's the line on can you or can't you bomb that? Because it's almost as if the entire population is living inside of an army barracks. It's like, I suppose you could bomb that. And it wouldn't be considered killing the civilians. It's but, but you know you're bombing women and children. You yeah. know. You know you're bombing. 
That's what I'm saying. And then you sent flowers, too, just to be extra petty. At the very least, you knew a 16-year-old girl was in there. Yeah, I'm much more concerned about the Hunger Games as an institution when we're talking about war crimes. Because you're definitely killing children. And no, that's a a big no-no. We don't love that. Oh, yeah, which we have a convention against that, don't we? And pretty much every pod is its own war crime. Those are messed up. You can't, you can't... I think disintegrating of, bones is wrong. Yeah. Uh, I guess if you could figure out a way to do that, like, nearly painlessly, maybe that would be okay. I'm more concerned with, like, poison. That's a big no-no. That time the street opened up and swallowed a bunch of capital citizens. Yeah, that's no good. That, that's your own people. I mean, you... That time we bombed children and first responders. <laughs> yeah, well, we that's... Amb, amb, who did that? An ambiguous war crime, but a war crime nonetheless. I'm gonna give it... I'm giving it to Coin. I think Coin did it. Uh, I think that's clear. This is what I'm saying. You can't become the people you're trying to destroy. Once you also start committing war crimes, you've gone too far. That's it. You got it. I, I think that... The most interesting part about the war theory in this in these uh, books to me was um, this idea of how far is too far. If we're 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 clearly on the side that is oppressed, we're on the good guy team, right? Mm-hmm. We're on the side that that should be the good guys, and so how far can we take this and still be the good guys? And I think that. Because that's that's one of Gale's uses, I think, in the third book, is to show you someone who has so much determination and anger to the enemy that he's willing to do anything. I, I mean, it is incredibly disturbing. I think I mentioned this earlier too. The, the fact that Gale is willing to trap those people in the mountain in District Two in mm-hmm. uh, what are the, the nut, right? That's what yes. they call it. That's, that is, that's sick. Uh, that that's so hard to think about, because it's a fear that's so acute to Gale. He would know that fear on a personal level, and he does. He lost his father to that, and he doesn't. He's he's quick to say, just do it. And that's so. That's the idea of. He has stopped seeing these people as human. Your enemy is still a human, even if they're evil. And when you stop seeing them as human, you stop having that abil- the ability to make decisions that aren't cruel, yeah. but that are effective. And we see that in Katniss's response to that, right? Uh, in her running down and trying to, to talk to the guy. It does end in a funny way. But, well, I mean, funny to me, not funny to... Katniss, who was shot through the abdomen, but I, uh, uh, it's, she is the barometer, right? And that she serves as a great meter to say, okay, she clearly is rebellious. She wants the capital down. She's a personal, almost, vendetta against Snow. So she's got a lot, a lot of fire in this game. She's not, Mm -hmm. she's not passive, at all about that. She's she's active in that. But she still can look even at the enemy and say, no, this is wrong. We can't do that. Right? And ultimately, she gets burned bad by that. 
she when the bombs go off and Prim dies, she loses who for most of the story has been her main source of protecting. She wants Prim to be safe. Um, and it's because you've not looked at your enemy as human. That's why they're able to do that. And while I, unlike you, don't believe that Gale holds culpability for that specific scenario, even though he invented those kind of bombs, I do think it's a it's a show of the consequences of when you've decided to burn everything to the ground to make sure you win. You're going to lose some people that way. Yeah. And both sides do it. I mean, the capital, as we talked about, is rampant with these decisions that seem to harm themselves. Um, but that's a, I mean, the prime example of your, the chickens coming home to roost. And Gail doesn't regret it. Culpable or not, he would stand by it. <laughs> yeah, you really, this, this, this thing for Gail is just the nail in the coffin for you specifically. His whole reaction is like, he's it's still it's in not the good. conversation of Prim being dead. He still finds a way to make it about how Katniss will never love him. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think this might be an easier question to answer, but when we think about war, when we think about the idea of treat your enemy as human, no matter their evil, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think this is a good, is a good uh, idea or not? Oh yeah, you have to remember that here's humanity. Because <coughs> if not, I think you lose yours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is a great, this is a good idea. I think it actually does a very good job of of talking about that problem. Uh, yeah. The one of the other things that I think about that uh, that stood out to me in the story mm-hmm. is um, the morality that Katniss shows specifically as regards debts she and this is actually something I've seen in other stories too and I'm sure you have as well um, but maybe an idea that I don't quite have as, as firmly in my head so um, as uh, any the 10 listeners that we have you know as they know uh, my favorite medium of storytelling is manga which is all out of Japan and there is a, a cultural reality that goes back to the samurai um, called Bushido that is put a lot into some characters usually in manga right if you know anything about manga you probably know at least one character that's like this and this whole argument of debts is huge right you don't want to owe somebody that that honor needs to be preserved and while there's a ton of traits that come from that tradition that Katniss doesn't have I think one of the things that I found interesting is she she does have this like weighing of debts where she doesn't want to be in anyone's favor and, and if she is, she literally cannot take certain actions, even if they're for her own safety. Because, so I, for that, I would say, like, Finnick. Her whole early relationship with Finnick, after he saves PETA, every time she's like, I think he's not on my side, she, ha- she actually stops herself from being ready to fight him 
because he saved uh because he saved Peta. And so there's like this economy of debt that she seems to have in her head. I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. It was just very interesting and I thought it kind of stuck throughout the whole story that that other people would do things for her that she couldn't understand why they would do that and it was hard for her to 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 cope with that and to try and then pay them back and to be held back in some ways because she couldn't pay them back yeah i mean i think that just points to i think that for her i don't know like there's probably some element of of pride there in some regard or some sort of honor but like i think it's really just about i think it's a survival basic is she doesn't want to be in debt because she doesn't want to owe anyone anything she doesn't want to feel any kind of guilt or obligation to care for people when she's already trying to care for her family and i think that's one of the big things that i think that's one of the things that makes it so hard for her and Peta at first because she enters the Hunger Games in Peta's debt. There's a debt that is not spoken of and not addressed. And that is that Peta gives her the bread. And that's the whole thing. Like Katniss's whole thing is about surviving. And that bread gave her hope. So not only is it like, I can't pay him back for the food he gave me. But it's also like, how do you pay someone back for the hope they gave you to survive? Like she can't, and I don't think she ever really addresses that for a while i think they eventually talk about it uh, yeah, i can't remember yeah. exactly how that goes down but but that's like a debt that she has to live with like quietly and she like seethes under it because she doesn't know how to address it and i think from her perspective she doesn't have anything either so she can't give anything back to him in this way but i think yeah i think it ultimately goes back to like her biggest thing which beyond not having debts it's just surviving and to survive she needs to carry the least amount of weight by that I mean like in physical people because she's got um, Prim and her mom and like that's kind of her thing and then you see that play on the Hunger Games is she commits to having like these deadweight characters with her even going so far as to carry mags which I can't remember I'm kind of mixing the dialogue of book and movie but like when mags is is reaped um, the second round, or when she steps forward and volunteers, Katniss comments on how weak and frail and unlikely to survive this woman is. But like Katniss takes her own turn carrying mags, like they all do, or and because they, they are a team, they're in each other's debt, they're working together. It's such like a I don't know, it's like a cool loyalty thing of hers that I think it's just one of those things like she tries to avoid it because she sees it as weakness. Yeah, yeah, I think. It is too. I think she sees that too. And you've hit on the other, the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is the the what the story says about the importance of survival. Um, but we'll we'll focus on Katniss first. I think that is it a weakness? So I think first of all, is the story telling us? that this owing of debts is a weakness. What do you think? Um, I don't think so, because, like, they all pull through. Like, yeah. it does not bite her in the butt to choose these people. Yeah, that's, I would say, 
resoundingly it's saying it's not a weakness because almost every time and I'm sure there's one example and if I had more people that listen to this podcast maybe someone would tell me that example but I don't so uh, every time it seems like she owes someone that doesn't end badly especially specifically for her it's she thinks that she has opened herself up to harm but she hasn't she isn't harmed even though she feels more open to it. And so I think the story definitely is saying it's not a weakness. And then I think, what what do you think? Is, is, is this a good way to live? Is this, is the owing of these debts, is this a weakness? In life, in our lives. Obviously, much less intense than her life, but is this a weakness? I mean, I definitely don't think so, but I I think I would also categorize it differently, and that is to say, like, they're not debts so much as it is, like, that element of, like, community and mutual dependability. And, like, that's kind of, there's not, like, keeping a record, but it's almost like the way that she and Gail work together, that give and take where she doesn't feel in his debt because they have a mutual partnership. It's just the the community and the working together. Like you supply different things, but you all contribute to a pos- like a common goal. Going back to like your point about having a society in a way, like it's just people being able to depend on each other. Yes. Yeah, uh, I like that. Yeah, it's definitely not a weakness. I think in our in our world. But let's talk about survival real quick before we we end this section, uh, because I think that. That's as you said. This is a big part of Katniss's character. Is is this need for survival? What do you think the story says about the importance of simply surviving? What do you mean? So, I think Katniss, for a lot of the story, has this idea that, or this drive to survive, to to keep everybody alive. Uh, no, so. To keep everybody important to her alive, right? So her, Prim, and to a certain extent her mother. And you might put Gail in there, but mm-hmm. he's... I think she views him as less a burden and more a partner. Right, right, right. Um, in this game. And maybe Gail's family. You know what I mean? The people important to her, they've just got to live. That's... We're, we're trying to just get them to survive throughout the day. Every mm-hmm. day. And we're satisfied. What do you, do you, what do you think the story says about... Is this vital? Is this as vital as Katniss thinks it is? That everyone makes it. No matter what. It's kind of hard because it's a little nuanced, I think. Yeah, that's complex to parse out. But I I think there's like a level of morality. Like Like, I think if you presented Katniss with the, you know, the train on the tracks debacle, do you let the train hit just prim? Or do you let the, have the train hit 10 people? Like, I think she might choose to let it hit just Prim. I I, th- I think she... Whoa, I hard disagree. You know what? Let me... I hard... Look, she's I'm thinking... absolutely killing the other people. I'm thinking and I'm speaking at the same time. But I, but I think that's like a line of what separates... Katniss from Snow and like getting into that idea of being of not being like the people you're fighting against is like yes but to what cost like there has to be a cost too high so maybe in that specific example I don't know but like 
I don't know that Katniss would be so flippant with other people's lives. So to that I say, like, she would sacrifice herself in any way, in anything, to keep Prim safe. But would she sacrifice someone else for Prim? I'm not certain. I definitely think she would. I, I think that she would kill every other human being on the planet to keep Prim alive. I, I think she'd be willing to do that. Especially at the very beginning. As we get through the series, I think less and less. Because Katniss is exposed to more of the world. She has these encounters with people like Rue that, that really move her. And they're people that she barely knows. And so I think that as it goes on, we have more of a... You have more of a chance that she has a more nuanced view, right? But I think the the big thing about survival, I thought, when I when I read it, is she's so concerned with keeping Prim alive, with keeping the people she cares about alive, and so flippant about her own life. This is what I think the story is telling us. This is a bad call. And I think one of the one of the clearest ways to say that to show that is Prim dies. And Katniss continues to live. And Katniss has a, a life that is, as we talked about earlier, that the end of the book is like, it's hard. It, there are days that it's hard. Mm-hmm. But it's worth it. And she ends up having these kids with, with PETA. It's worth it. Yeah. It's it's worth it that she survived this. And and even the 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 most important person in the world to her being taken away still it's worth it to live it was still worth it to live i like that moral i i like that i think i think that's a good way to look at life because life is hard a lot of times and i have a pretty good one i would say and yeah. sometimes i ha- i have hard times as i'm sure you do as i'm sure everybody does life can get hard but it's worth it to keep living and I think that's a I think that's a good a good thing to learn in maybe the most tragic way possible. Oh yeah, for sure. But no, that is definitely a solid moral. Like I would agree with you there. Yeah, and I really like and there's like little things that, that show you that, right? Finnick, who's been terribly abused, uh, does end up getting married and, and has at least a little bit of this actually good life with Annie before you know ultimately he dies but but that's still good that was he he got good he got some good out of that and when they put together the book you know pita katniss and hamish Mm -hmm. put together that book there's good in the fact that these three very hurt people are still alive yeah and they're still grinding through life and it's worth it and i i it's kind of beautiful to me. I really like that. Yeah. That's, that's one of the great, great things. Yeah. Uh, so, Shania, anything at all about the Hunger Games that you want to say <laughs> before we wrap this, this podcast up? I think we kind of ran through the whole thing. I mean, it was great to talk about and get into it. Like, I love the series. I love how much there is in it to discuss good yeah 
yeah uh thank you for coming on thank you for doing this with me you're my wife so you're kind of like voluntold but i still love that you're here and i'm happy to be here uh, i love that it took us a couple couple rounds to get this done and you've provided me with ideas that will hopefully help this better be better in the future which is great um so thank you i really appreciate this uh, thank you for introducing me to the hunger games in in this way i mean it it was very impactful uh for me it was a great story to read well after the movie ruined it for you i had to show you the right way i had to get the book in yeah here. it was a whole different experience it was crazy different and it was it was really great to to be able to get into it and be, be able to talk about it with you was awesome um so thank you thank you for coming you're welcome absolutely um so next month um i'm gonna talk with with um uh one of my friends he's actually we've been friends for a long time um named caleb and he'll he'll be on the show and we're gonna talk about the original helsing anime um so not helsing ultimate but the original 13 episode anime so much much less material than i had to than we covered this month but i'm excited to get into that um i haven't I've never seen that show. I've read some of that manga, but I'm very excited to get into that with him. Um, so I'm excited to do that next month. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Life's Legends. Please like and subscribe, comment on this video, and until next time, savor your stories.